Hello, good evening, good evening, everybody. Um, corruption, yeah, my fears <laughs> of you not being connected. Well, they happen to be true because the the streamyard is saying device is not connected. So if you may uh, disconnect and reconnect i don't know what's happening because right before the show i was able to talk to you normally but right now saying your devices are not connected corruption <clears throat> so yeah anyways thank you for being on guys thank you for listening 
while we wait on corruption to to fix his mic problem, his device problem. Well, yeah, the show is obviously about this amazing fight that we had this past weekend. And uh, we were not able, well, you know us, you know how we do it. We were not really able to cover it on time to cover it the last Sunday. But so we are here, we're here tonight. It's midnight past 30 here in Europe for corruption as well as for myself. Um, let me just change the thumbnail. All right. Corruption, good evening. Yes. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can. Excellent. Apologies all. The only thing I was going to say was the only thing fragile at the moment, apart from StreamYard connectivity, is patience and, and temper with some of these intros not being given the justice they deserve. I think, um, once this stream is over, I may have to call an emergency session of the board and have a meeting on, on official status as the chief executive officer. We may have to uh, revise his position to a non-executive director. Admit. As the, as the chairman of the board, we expect impeccable standards. I have nothing to say in, in my defense. <laughs> Guilty. Official <laughs> should be improving telecommunications, but half the time he's, he's more interested in pursuing and conquering all of the lovely Parisian pussy delights <laughs> tour the pussy escapades now I've got no problem with that you know I've got more kids than Evander Holyfield so I, I don't have an issue with that <laughs> but yeah that's how it is <laughs> yeah alright yeah welcome everybody so a little bit of a belated show, but that's that's down to me, unfortunately. Very, very busy schedules, but I know official scorecard has been chomping at the bits. Um, very busy, doing doing a great deal of work. A little bit of our forensic analysis that we'd like, we'd like to do um, to support what was a magnificent fight. But he's been waiting and waiting, and unfortunately, I've been extremely busy, so the show is a little bit late. We would have liked to have done a, an immediate post-fight. So during the interim, the official has been taking out his frustration on the fag four, so I had to um, tame him a little bit, and uh, here we are. Corruption and official back. So well, that's good. We've had three, three very recent videos in quick succession, so... 
starting to get a little bit better as the schedule is starting to improve for everyone, getting out of lockdown, so getting back to a, a proper routine. So hopefully we can reconvene all of the shows back on the Sunday evening. I think that's a, it's a pretty good time for official and myself. Um, so, yeah, um, this past whatever Saturday night, early hours of the Sunday morning for us in Europe, we had what was the most anticipated fight for the past eight years, whether it's a rematch or a, or a standalone fight, a fight that we prognosticated would be not only the fight of the year, but one of the best fights in 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 recent memory. And that definitely did not disappoint. And, and why would it? Why would anybody have been skeptical about what the two respective combatants would have brought into the ring, given their history, given the way they've been sort of mirroring each other's careers to a certain extent through weight categories, fighting common opponents, hence the the true four kings, as they are with Carlos Cuadras and Sarisakat, given a number of wars that they've had in between each other and some of the great fights and controversies, etc. But it's been a fantastic spectacle for boxing fans, and it certainly elevated the ranks of the super flyweight division to new sort of stratospheres, and that's great. You know, poorly deprived, poorly overlooked for a number of years, and it's it's getting its shine, and the fighters are being financially rewarded as well. Although you can't really placate Roman Gonzalez with a million pounds if you're going to try and rob him on the cards. But we'll get into that. Um, a brilliant fight. A fight that eventually went onto the scorecards as, you know, official and myself had, had kind of prognosticated once again. It was one of those fights where we were we were fluctuating in terms of who would be the winner. Initially, I was going for Roman. Then I thought Estrada would perhaps get it on the cards. And then, in the end, it was one of those fights where, at the back of my mind, was what happened. And and when the zone no longer becomes an independent, unbiased broadcaster, and they and they cross those lines and they make an official pick so to speak in the way they protected Juan Francisco Estrada to make sure that he that he progressed from so-called the semi-final or the warm-up or the tune-up fight against Carlos Quadras when they cross when they cross those that that sort of perimeter then what transpired in this fight is 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 it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody although opinions have have been a little bit to the extreme in terms of who people felt was the victor in the fight it seems to be that a large majority of the boxing public felt that roman gonzalez uh, did enough to prevail and should have been the victor and hence become a unified champion for the first time in his career and then hence cement his legacy as one of simply one of the greatest fighters of all time 
it's taken a few days to to, to kind of reflect. I mean, I ha I still haven't been able to see the fight for the second time, but I have a decent enough a vivid imagination, and I can sort of recall the action, a fight of that sort of magnitude and that sort of quality, just unadulterated quality, sort of unequivocal quality. Um, that that that's manifests itself in your in your psyche. Um, for me, it, it it wasn't a very difficult fight to score, although I felt that the defense of both fighters was one of the most significant qualities that I deduced from the fight. Both of them are offensive juggernauts, but Gonzalez has has remodeled and reach is transitioned into a, a defensively better fighter over the years so he's kind of compensated for maybe a little bit of lack of explosiveness and speed maybe his punching power isn't as debilitating as it was at minimum weight and certainly at junior flyweight but 41 knockouts in 52 fights is is an outstanding knockout percentage in any of the 17 weight classes so Estrada knew he had to be respectful of his power as Gonzalez has has kind of been a fighter who certainly for prime fighters he's able to break them down impose a vicious beatdown magnificent conditioning and the, and the way he paces himself is not always punching like a like an Israel Madrimov who, who's just loading up with too many punches, Roman understands how to manage his energy throughout the fight if it's going to go a full twelve rounds, and we see that it in in this fight in particular, Roman's proclivity was timing and placement, not wasting punches. Although he was frying a tremendous amount of punches, but he just had the better accuracy. He had the better timing, and I felt at times he was counter-punching beautifully. Um, he was able to... Estrada would be looking for that double left hook, sometimes left hook to the body, but Roman would always come back with a very nice right hand. Sometimes he'd loop the right hand, sometimes straight, and that punch would cause Estrada... problems throughout the fight. Nothing concussive but it, it it certainly buzzed him up a little bit once or twice and definitely in in, in the later st stretches of the fight Estrada definitely came out quickly he definitely had a purpose as we knew he would he actually started the first fight very well as well so it's kind of ironic that he the two fights with Gonzalez is, is when he's actually really come out of the gates fast but other times he's he's kind of criticized for being a very notorious slow starter. Counter punches tend to do a lot of reconnaissance early on. And they kind of figure out their opponents and then they step into a gear and then start breaking them down and knocking them out, which Estrada, you know, tends to do. One of those fighters that if this was still a 15 round era, he would he would embrace it. And I think he would definitely shine. And I feel Roman Gonzalez could do the same. Um, 
So the Strider had some good good success early on. Definitely had the speed, although his hand speed wasn't as pronounced as the first fight, for the reasons I talked about in in the the weigh-in extended breakdown, mentioning that his his emphasis now is actually more sitting down on his punches. So the hand speed is not as or, or the discrepancy between Estrada and Gonzalez wasn't wasn't as acute as it was in the first fight. Also, Estrada was eight years younger, 22-year-old, very fresh. So he definitely had far better hand speed back then. Roman's hand hand speed, whether it's decreased from the first fight, not that obvious. They were definitely a, a little bit, but as I mentioned, he 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 now takes he now makes a conscious decision of taking power off his punches to actually increase his hand speed. But he tends not to do that all of the time. Very, very cunning and, and, and deceiving in the way he will manipulate within the pocket when he wants to accelerate that hand speed. That's when he'll take the power off. He'll fire up a little combination, especially when Estrada was trying to target Roman's body during the middle stages. Roman then would come back with short hooks, and he would. I noticed he was he was taking the power off, but he was trying to land the punches. But Estrada's defense in this fight was significantly better than it was than it has been in a very long time. I've been highly critical of his defense. He's he's been relying a little bit more on his his natural technical ability, his counter punching, his cerebral sort of aspects, and his punching power as well. Almost one of those fighters that'll just stand and trade with you. But the Strider in this fight, and you've got to give it to him, you know, there wasn't that there wasn't that 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 sort of egotistical nature that I'm just gonna go in there and knock him out. He may have been a little bit brash, but he, he definitely studied Gonzalez, well prepared, and his defense was better. Not only the, the his guard, because he was actually blocking a hell of a lot of Roman's punches off his gloves, but movement, side to side movement, a little bit, sometimes using the shoulder roll or well, sometimes head movement. So he showed great dynamic ability in his defense as well. And I think Roman's defense was also excellent as well. So the two of them may have combined for over 2,000 punches, but I, I rarely go on CompuBox. We we tend to compile our own punch stats, but one can gauge roughly how many punches were thrown. But I, I, I think, from my own observations, I think both of them probably landed around around a set of 150 punches, like clean punches. Um, I don't think there was a massive discrepancy in punches landed between the two of them. Roman, I think, may have landed more punches, but Estrada was landing hard punches as well, but he didn't invest, I felt, he didn't invest in the body from the outset. From the third, fourth round, he was starting to land some very good body shots, and I think in the fifth and the sixth, where he temporarily buzzed Roman with some hard left hooks to the body, that was a wise strategy, but he he really should have started to Roman's body from the, from the outset, and I think that would have slowed Roman down significantly, especially for fighter you feel is carrying a little bit extra, maybe a little bit extra water weight. 
depends if there was any if there was any natural sugars or carbohydrates sugar tends to retain more water than salt so it 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 would have been a you know a good area for Estrada to have targeted from the outset so given that Roman is also you know a veteran so th- the punches would have caused Roman maybe just to have slowed down a little bit more in Estrada being three years fresher could have stepped it up but it's not always easy to hit Roman to the body his defensive position he goes to the cross guard as well very well from from not only a peekaboo but then he he tends to bend his back tuck his chin as well and go from a slightly lower with his elbows almost at a at a 90 degrees so he there's just so many guard positions that we're going to have to do a video in the future just to show how Roman transitions into all of the various guards to kind of deflect and parry and block different punches. There's just small small arts of defensive skill that he truly is one of the best at. But Estrada was landing the fair share. Now, if if both fighters are opening up and they're, and they're exchanging and they're trading or they're trying to induce the other person to actually open up and exchange, then naturally you're going to be susceptible to both punches and counter punches. And Estrada definitely found some openings when they were both opening up. But Roman was having the better success at short range as we were, as we intimated numerous times in, in all of our pre-fight videos Estrada's best strategy would not be to engage for prolonged periods with Roman at that sort of shorter range. Roman is the far more accomplished fighter, and I think he proved it at certain elements when they were trading. But Estrada was trying to dictate times he had Roman pushed back, trying to be the ring general. We didn't see Roman on the back foot in the first fight, but Estrada is physically, it definitely is the bigger fighter. You can see that definitely has power as well and but Roman wasn't wasn't in any sort of distress he can fight on the back foot although he's not as good as Estrada on the back foot but he's a very good counter puncher and he's very good at shortening his punches and landing one or two sometimes one hard punch and that would push Estrada back so Roman Roman's power was definitely decent throughout the fight. Estrada would not trade for, for prolonged periods because he knew Roman had the accuracy and he had, you know, the the power and, and the right, Roman's right hand. And sometimes his jab from the full frown onwards was 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 on point. Um but Estrada stood in there, you know, took took a bit of punishment in the middle rounds, came back and then later on, Roman from round seven, eight, definitely had his second win. We could see when Estrada may have reeled off six, seven, eight. Roman came back nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Definitely finished the fight stronger. So it kind of questions Estrada's was his was his aggression as effective if Roman was able to mount. A significant sort of retaliation at the back end of the fight. If Estrada's punches had definitely hurt Roman significantly, then I don't think as a 33-year-old super flyweight 
you know, in his 53rd fight, Roman would have been able to rebound in the manner he did, but the desire and, and the ambition and the heart and the de- and the fighting pride and the abilities of these fighters are it's a lost art in boxing. These are some fighters that we may never see ever again the way boxing has just become almost a, a novelty niche sport that is no longer no longer an art form to showcase your talents. It's just a means of commerce and economics. Fighters no longer have the desire and the ambition to fight in different jurisdictions and to take on challenges with their with their antagonists or their protagonists no more. It's it's just delay and avoidance and different networks and pay-per-views and uh, it's very, very frustrating. So this was kind of a it was a blessing just to see just to see two warriors almost at the end of the day put on a, an absolutely magnificent fight. But once again, as per the first fight, I think and and here's the problem when you have a scorecard in which it's a, a maturity decision. One card goes to Gonzalez, two to Estrada, but we all know that one of the cards Carlos Sucre from Venezuela had somehow adjudicated the fight to be nine rounds to three when there's been no knockdowns, when there's been no fight has been significantly hurt. Maybe Roman hurt Estrada a little bit more. Certainly in the 12th round, it was visible for to see as Estrada was hurt and Roman was able to mount, put on a bit of a beatdown on Estrada without the same number of punches coming back. So maybe that was the most clear and decisive round of the fight. So it's kind of it, it, it's kind of hard to accept that a that a judge would have scored the twelve round in favor of one Francisco Estrada. But when the zone have, as I mentioned before, when the zone have clearly made their choice on who they wish who they see the upside with, who they see the long-term future with, whether it was the Swissicat fight, there's sufficient demand for the third fight, given that it's a rubber match. When the zone have perverted, they've overstepped their boundaries. They've not remained part impartial. They've made a choice. Then, then, what has transpired in this fight is it's it's hard to accept that it's down to incompetence, especially when a judge awards the last five rounds to Estrada when Roman may have won the last four out of the five rounds. So that's very hard to not only fathom, but it, it's very hard to even accept or even understand. And it doesn't matter that that the WBA have intervened and they've suspended the judge. That that what does that exactly mean? Are they going to investigate him? Are they going to are they going to uh, look at a source of wealth and source of funds? As I've been 
arguing in boxing for a number of years at just like in 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 the finance industry certainly for front office traders etc if if traders have any debts then they're not allowed to trade you can't have contact between the front office and back office there's chinese walls in place and human resources are, or or you you're able to scrutinize the finance of 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 the traders just to ensure that there is no bribery and corruption going involved and that that's got to be extended in boxing but it's not going to happen because they know what exactly uh they're going to find it's there's 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 absolutely no doubt about it that that the judges are are working on the behest of not only the promoters but on the television networks that's you've only got to look at their previous records and 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 look at the decisions and 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 break it down look look at the microeconomics and 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 go down and look at the scoring of individual rounds and you you'll see so many anomalies that it that it no longer puts into doubt their ability as judges it's it's pawns brought in to adjudicate so that whoever the promoter has decided that he wants to prevail prevails and 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 moves on now i i don't think it was i don't think it was a wide fight for gonzales i i when i was scoring the fight live and with official he will he will concur that before the judge's scorecard was was read i had scored the fight 7 rounds to 5 for gonzales official and yeah. myself had differing opinions on the fight official will emphasize in great detail how he how he saw the fight and he's rewatched the fight and he's been doing a lot of tremendous analysis so he's maybe in a far better position to give his opinion and maybe even supersede my thoughts and and opinions um but i i i always felt it was a it was a close fight very competitive fight i felt defense was one of the best components in the fight and and hence the reason why i felt it was a very close fight because a lot of the punches were definitely being blocked and parried and rolled um but there was also it was very it was very well, it was not convoluted to try and isolate the clean punches that were landed uh for me both fighters were landing you know clean punches but i think roman gonzales by virtue of what he did early on and in the latter stages of the fight i felt he did enough to win the fight 7 rounds to 5 i think 6-6 would be the maximum you could give a strider i think roman definitely won the fight 7-5 either way that would be a little bit difficult to accept as well but i think but it's got to be balanced with the first fight and i felt one francisco estrada in the fight first fight was very competitive i felt he gave a magnificent performance and and a lot of people felt that roman gonzales was 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 a wide deserved unanimous victory in the first fight i i i 
the more and more I've seen this fight, I, I have a different opinion. I think Estrada was was very, very decent in the first fight. And and that for me could have could have been a draw. So two very, very close fights. Um and I think Roman in 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 the post fight, you could see the emotion. But I I think deep down in his heart, he he felt that he he didn't receive justice. He explicitly mentioned that you know he he had clearly won both fights, overshadowed by you know you know his humbleness, which he shows throughout. So, Eddie Hearn, you know, you, you can't placate Roman Gonzalez with a million dollars is because that's what he deserves, and he's he's deserved that for for the past decade. You've only got to look at the, the quality of the fight and what Roman has done throughout his career. Now, Estrada may have been a little bit disparaging in saying that Roman was a little bit reticent to have stepped in the ring with him far quicker because he was always demanding a million dollars. But that's, no, I don't share that opinion at all. Now, what do you think Roman Gonzalez is going to do with a million dollars? I mean, do you really think he's going to buy a fleet of luxury cars? Or do you think Roman Gonzalez is going to buy a whole jewelry shop with a jewelry pack it into a Louis Vuitton bag, go into a nightclub and get it stolen like Jamal Charlo. <laughs> you know, he's not that sort of individual. You've only got to look at Nicaragua and what has happened to the country, certainly via the United States, via the structural reform that has taken place over there and the way the Nicaraguan economy is, is, is no longer able to reflate their economy before even the peg to the US dollar. So you've got to look at the economic genocide that has been inflicted upon Mandakan. Roman will definitely use that money to try and help his local community. He's been doing that throughout his career. So when the fighter is talking about demanding a purse that may seem a little bit exorbitantly high, you've really got to understand the reasons why he's requesting it. You know, he's a warrior. He's one of the greatest fighters of all time. He's got full justification to be commanding a salary of that sort of magnitude. Look at his achievements. Look at how he's how he's won his fights. The dominating way he's won them. Look at the entertainment he's brought to the whole to the to the entire box boxing infrastructure. Look at you only got to look at the the undercard. You've got you've got a fighter who 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 has adopted the name, you know, little chocolito. In, in Hiroto Kiyaguchi, that is the, the, the reverence and the admiration that these younger fighters have on Roman Gonzalez, how he's inspiring so many fighters, not only from Japan, but in, in Central South, South America, as well as the UK, etc. A lot of people are adopting his style, his technique. They speak about him in, 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 in such, with such respect and admiration. That, that's, that's the personification of Roman Gonzalez to boxing. You know, they, they've introduced superfly carts after what he's done and what he's brought 
to the United States in 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 elevating the division. Otherwise, would would we ever have seen super flyweights headline cards or have a, a complete card directed to super flyweights? So, so I'm supposed to accept, you know, disparaging and just sort of nonsensical talk that that you know that that a fighter in in Gonzalez doesn't deserve, you know, a million dollars when you've got Avni Yildirim, who who may have who just came down and did absolutely nothing because it, it was a 100% fixed fight on the DAZN card. A Canelo sparring partner who no doubt puts up tremendous resistance in sparring as we've seen footages, but in the ring, he, that was just that was just compensation for an old friend from Canelo Alvarez doing him a favour. Hence why he did absolutely nothing when he clearly had the ability to do so. And we've seen that in all of Canelo. And we've seen DAZN pay astronomical amounts to Mikey Garcia, a mercenary who left Bob Aaron because he didn't want the hard fights, just like Floyd Mayweather using James Prince to buy his contract out with Top Rank. And look at the fights he fought just after he left Top Rank as well. But we give these people all the respect in the world. But Roman Gonzalez is, is, is greedy and he's pricing himself out and he didn't want the rematch. That's what we're supposed to accept. It's just ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous, listening to all these toxic, neolithically incompetent prats that just spend their time as leeches and parasites and all these ridiculous boxing channels that, that really should be blown out of existence. You know, that, that, that's the level of stupidity that's on. And not only there, it... it, it it extends to the so-called publications, etc. How Roman Gonzalez is not even on the Ring Magazine pound-for-pound pound top 10 rankings. When you've got people like Terence Crawford and Errol Spence, you know, even higher than people like Alexander Rusik. That's, that, that, that's what these youngsters, these box rec, boxing fans... That's what they proliferate these days. It's, they, 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 these people are just so easy to hypnotize with stupidity, and 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 that's what they proliferate throughout the throughout the internet when they come to respected boxing channels who know what they're talking about, are able to break down the fighters, and these are the counter arguments that they try and bring. Um, it's. It's kind of disheartening, you know, very frustrating and it's annoying and hence, you know, it kind of gets reflected in these podcasts. You know, we don't want to do that. We want to be positive after a fight like that. But, you know, you've got to, you've got to put in a demarcation and uh, you've got to call it that as it is. But, um, yeah, that, that was my, that was my thoughts. And uh, I'm going to pass over to, uh, the soon-to-be appointed non-executive director, official scorecard <laughs> for his uh, extended breakdown. Yeah. Despite the great wins, Yoka barely gets the tent. But when Sol steps to you with his feet of cement, after two abuses by an old elder without consent, he puts you all in line and tells you to get banned. Beat blown up Mikey, little Danny, Khan's corpse, and all the others in whom you can stick a fork. 
they'll put you over a truck uh, without remorse or a bauloma for that matter, and it gets even worse. Bravo. Official, he's like a, a cross between William Shakespeare and Cool Keith. <laughs> I'm taking that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> man. Fuck that bullshit, man. Yeah, you're 100% right, man. Couldn't, couldn't tell it any better, man. Every, every single word you just said. It's amazing. I mean, before jumping into this fight, yeah, let me just address you one of your uh, last points. Yeah, so I'm certain some people are going to say, yeah, but uh, are you not always saying that uh, fighters are getting paid pay based on their worth? And uh, why do you talking bad about the female boxing? Especially me. I know they would they would uh, say say that about me because I'm the one saying all that shit. Well, look, you cannot compare because you have 50 females in a middleweight division fighting. I mean, they can only dream of fighting at the level, and not only the females, all the. All your top 10 pound for pound boxers can only dream of boxing at the level that Chocolatito and El Gallo are boxing at. So, Chocolatito, first of all, he's been putting asses in the seats, and not, not only in Nicaragua, in his home country, but all over the world, he's been immensely respected in Japan where, I mean, Japanese appreciate him immensely for because they're recognizing his talent. And not only that, when he came over to HBO and uh, started fighting in the U.S., and uh, keep in mind, this was after his prime. He was already slightly on a decline, plus moving up in weight couldn't help him neither but he was still able to give us all the classic fights. And uh, he was putting seats in LA, in New York. He, um, I mean, he, 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 brought, he brought the interest in, in the super flyweights, in the little guys, and gave us so many classic fights. This one included for sure. So... Yeah, you cannot say he, he doesn't deserve that money. And uh, corruption, you already explained everything so eloquently. So props to you for for all for everything you just said. But now about this fight, a fucking fantastic fight. Um, yeah, I've heard so many people saying that, oh, don't get it blown out of out of proportion like yeah it was a good fight but don't uh, don't say it was an amazing fight no to me it was an amazing fight i really enjoyed it and uh, no matter how great the first fight between them two was i enjoyed this one even more so uh and <laughs> who could believe it man um, both of them you can say uh, i mean 
Yeah, they, they, they should be out of their primes, but the amazing defense that they showcased, as well as the offense, because just look at how many punches they've thrown. It was a non-stop action. So a fucking amazing fight. I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I could do, we can do a 20-show series on this fight alone, analyzing this fight. And we still would not be able to, to cover all the things that, that happened in the fight. This is how, how amazing it was. Oh, I just, I just wish I could see these type of fights more often, but unfortunately, I don't think it's, it's possible. And uh, certainly not with uh, with a very tiny amount of throwback fighters like Roman who are able to to give us this kind of performance. And Estrada as well, a f- fucking great fighter. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I have to, to, to speak about corruption because... It's funny to me that people are saying, oh, yeah, doesn't matter. You know, look, look this fight from the positive perspective. Uh, we are all going to to remember this fight forever. But if you give a promoter, I mean, or whoever is fixing the fight, you know, a carte blanche to do the same thing. They are going to continue doing doing it. Same for, for fighters who are ducking the other fighters, the, uh, their uh, opponents. As long as you people are allowing them to do so and you're not criticizing them, they're going to, to continue doing so. So same goes for fixing fights. I mean... I cannot just pretend that I was so happy about this fight. I mean, the fight was amazing. One of the best fights I've ever seen, man. But at the same time, I felt, I felt by the end of the fight, I felt somehow robbed. I don't know. It it left a salty taste in my mouth and it was not a pussy. And uh, fuck, man, I don't know what to say. You you were so right about about the zone and their piece of cake. I mean, uh, their uh, what? How do you say it? This fight was not televised by by a network station who who doesn't have anything to do with this fight. No, this was televised by by a network who signed both of them. And so they were not just uh, a simple observer in the, in this fight. So it's very, very hard. It's impossible to say that. This, this was a honest mistake of two judges. I don't believe that. I mean, it's, it's very debatable. When it comes to scorecards, it's very debatable. And I, I can see it 7 to 5 for Roman. I can clearly see it, but five rounds is the absolute best I could I could give to to Estrada. And by the way, this is not me shitting on Estrada. On the contrary, he's an incredible fighter. Um, 
the best current Mexican fighter without any doubt. Way, 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 way better than Canelo, than any other current active Mexican fighter, man. Uh, and uh, he showcased amazing skills. Uh, I mean, we, we all talk about Roman's defense, and for, for a great reason indeed. But man, did Estrada showcase his defense as well and his offense because he was landing some amazing combos. And it, it, it was just so, so lovely to watch this fight, man. But at the same time, I felt it felt cheap at the same time. By the time they were reading the scorecards, you know, it's 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 so frustrating because, and, th- and that's why we have to to address this shit. Now later, I'll get into into my my scorecard because I was rewatching it, and uh, in between the rounds, I was writing the notes about this fight, about the rounds. I was describing the rounds in between. Uh, in between the rounds while I was rewatching the fight. So I can uh, read it and explain it in detail how and why I scored it, the way I scored it. And it was pretty much, I would say, similar to, to how I initially scored it, watching it live. But yeah, before that, I have a couple of things to, uh, things to say. First of all, big credit to, to Estrada because... He's, he was a standout guy. He, I mean, he was being told in between the ninth, ninth and the 10th round by his corner to, to step it up and that he has to, to score a knockout in order to win because his own corner felt like he was losing the fight. Now, point. of course, thanks. Of course, it's arguable. You can always make a case that it's his corner trying to motivate him to, to step it up, no doubt. But I don't believe that. The, the, the way... Uh, I, I, I do think that... Yeah, there is, there is... Official, there, mm-hmm. there is honesty at that moment. I remember Roger Mayweather saying the same to Floyd Mayweather when he was losing the Castillo fight, telling him, you're losing the fight. I don't think... and And... That's honesty. You don't give your fighters wrong instructions. Say if they're hypothetically winning on points and you tell them, go and knock them out and you get knocked out in the process, you never do that. So I think Caballero was was honest. And I feel Roger Mayweather at that time was honest to Floyd. You're losing the fight, in which he was. So, yeah, carry on. Sorry. No, no problem. Thank you. Thank you for that input, in fact, because you are so right. And not only Roger Mayweather, but Mayweather Sr. as well in the Pacquiao fight. Why why are you fighting scared? (laughs) By the way, just quick shout out to, well, of course, L-Dog and that guy who were already here, but also Andre Rodriguez, Toby Bartlett, also who just joined us. Thank you for being on, guys. But yeah, so yeah. It was clearly the case Roman was winning those that fight at the point when uh, Estrada's corner addressed him and urged him to, to, to step up. But yeah, by the end of the fight, you could just see on Estrada's face that he knew he, he lost the fight, but he was not bragging, he was not... Uh, gloating no he was very respectful 
and uh, I, I, and uh, on the other hand, I'm sure that he's a type of guy. He's kind of like Marquez, his favorite writer, in fact, uh, Marquez, who just like Estrada. I feel, um, I feel that deep down they. I can say kind of they hated their their biggest opponents and really wanted the victories over them so, so bad. You can even see it in at waiting. Uh, and uh, Estrada saying that he will knock Roman out before the fight. Uh, he was so pumped up, emotional. So... I could even say that there was probably in his mind uh, some bad blood in between them that he really wanted to, that he was really telling to himself, I want to knock this motherfucker out, fuck him. <laughs> I'm going to show him that I'm the best. But still, he was he was humble. He said that, well, of course, <laughs> rare are the fighters who at this point and this day they could straight out say, oh, I think I didn't deserve to win. I think uh, my opponent won. But he at least say, said it was a very close fight. Then he also said, I, don't, I thought it was a draw. And he immediately offered Roman, I mean, he expressed um, that he would like to, to have a third fight in between him and Roman. So, That's official. official. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a great point. Show me one other fighter who has been judged or to win the fight, and he, at a press conference or whatever, has that moment of clarity, and he kind of rescinds, desecrates the, the decision, downgrades the decision to say that I think my opponent did enough for a draw when you've won the fight on the cards. That very invariably happens almost it's almost a rarity and i think that was honesty once again that set in yeah absolutely and uh, if you look at it the other way at the same time put yourself in estrada's shoes or in anyone uh, any other fighter's shoes uh, of a fighter who did not deserve the victory he, he can't even say, oh, I think uh, I clearly lost this fight because the same way um, promoters gave him the A-side status and wanted him to win, was oversetting over his opponent to win. That way he can anger them and uh, big money is, uh, is in question. Uh, the zone is in, in investing in him, not as much as they're investing in Canelo and uh, AJ, no doubt, but uh, they're uh, hoping on him to to become uh, to become the, the biggest name in the flyweight division, you know, and to continue on winning. So he cannot really express that that he thought that he lost the fight same way I, I don't want to go off topic but let me just quickly say same way um, the trainers are not always going to to go go out in public in the interviews and said say oh i think this, those bitches robbed my, my fighter no because uh, they have other fighters as well and uh, their other fighters are, are also going to be um 
fighting under the, the jurisdiction of, of those same uh, commissions. Uh, so so they have to, to protect their their interest that their other fighters you know mm, so they, they have to be careful it's it's a funny game that that's just look at um, Tyson Fury in both um, both wilder fights uh, first fight he he was not really expressing that he he felt he got trapped at least not instantly it was like weeks later uh second fight also he thought uh kenny bellis was doing a great job while in fact uh, he was definitely protecting wilder in the rematch you know but yeah i gave you you get my point anyways to get back to this fight yeah man that post-fight interview from roman was oh so emotional and man what a man that guy is D-man. You know, officially, yeah. in the the polit with the politics and the economics in this fight, it almost makes you wonder, you know, what exactly is the zone forecasting for the future? Because as we mentioned before, we have two fighters whose original registration rights are with third-party promoters. Tekken Promotions Japan with Roman Gonzalez and Zanfa promotions Mexico with Estrada. So DAZN is there is the international network for them where they're fighting in the United States or Good in point. the UK, etc. And yeah. then DAZN obviously have the budget. So they're making all of the, the super fights for the for the fighters, but the original promoters obviously get a certain cut and we don't really know the intrinsic terms and conditions involved in their contracts to say what they are, but whatever it is that, you, you know, Xanfer and, and uh, Mr. Honda are getting a cut. Now, the zone in, in that sense, so you've, you've almost got like an equilibrium between the two fighters. You know, it's not like Estrada is a, is an outright disowned fighter like there's no there's no ancillary contract there's no third party agreement he, he's a he's a 100 percent disowned fighter in which case if they put all the chips on Estrada, you could clearly understand it but in this position you've got both of them are not autonomous disowned autonomous fighters but for whatever reason disowned have decided with Estrada, now he was signed before Roman. Roman's been on various K2 promotions, etc. So he's kind of floated with everybody, but he's remained loyal to his original. Now, I was thinking, you know, what, what is going on? Is it is it is there more money in in a rubber match with Srisakat than with Roman and Srisakat, which also has a great deal of intrigue because Roman was clearly robbed in the first fight and it wasn't a close fight that was a robbery pure and simple um and sarisicat is not a big enough commodity in the, which if if roman had if 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 justice had been upheld in the first fight and roman prevailed then there would have been absolutely no demand for the second fight so roman would not have been knocked out being hypothetical but that's just facts there would have not been a rematch 
if Roman had won the first fight, even if it was a 7-5, seven, seven, one-point discrepancy with the knockdown in the first round, to so say 1-1, one, one, you know, 1-1-4, one, 1-1-3, one, 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 nobody would have wanted the rematch. But so Sarisakat has two, Roman zero, Strado in, and uh, Rangvisaya 1-1. One, one. Now, Rangvisaya signed with a massive promoter out in Thailand, and they've been actually picking on putting on big fights. It's quite a, a decent set of card with MMA and boxing combined. You know, very good commentators. I watched the Iran Diaz fight and I thought that was a as a showcase entertainment. It was a magnificent sort of spectacle. I spoke on with that with Gail and that on, on the pound for pound. So there could be demand both from Thailand and, and, and Mexico and the United States for that fight. So there could be a bit of money in that return fight. But is that going to be significantly higher than what Roman and, and Swissaket would get from the third fight if that was to happen? Because there is still, as I mentioned, some intrigue and Roman has a diehard, hardcore fan base and there's a lot of casual fans who I'm sure, uh, you know, would, would, would definitely tune in and all get a subscription with the zone and, and, and watch the third fight. So I think he's a big enough name, bigger than Estrada, definitely as a commodity. So I don't think that the discrepancy between the two fights is such for zone just to make a, a blatant outright choice that we're picking Estrada over Gonzalez. I'm kind of thinking, are they trying to like get Estrada so that they can they can perhaps get him in, in with a mega fight with a Ray Martinez who may step up to 115 pounds. Is that what the yes. zone is looking at? Perhaps for Ray Martinez to take over the reins, given that it's a, it could be an old zone fight. Estrada with two belts. Ray being the young guy is expressing an interest coming up to 115 pounds, as it's the big mo money division. The same way in which Top Ranker may be trying to get Lomachenko and try and feed him to uh, Shakur Stevenson if he moves down to 130 pounds. Because you know they clearly want Loma out of the game. We know that. And maybe the zone of thinking, well, Estrada's got two, but the Rey Martinez is probably the future. He's 25 as well. I think he's also a Zanfa, uh, the zone. So a very similar contractual agreement with Estrada, both Mexicans kind of a Mexican super fight and maybe, you know, maybe they think, you know, raise the future of the division. It's just a theory. Um, what are your thoughts? Exactly. Corruption. I was, I was about to, to say that because uh, I remember that uh, Julio Cesar Martinez, he already expressed his intention of moving up at, to 115 the next year. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to happen by the end of this year because I heard him saying that a couple of months ago or uh, I don't remember if it was an interview or a post-fight interview or uh, the commentators mentioning it during one of his fights. But yeah, I clearly remember hearing that he already expressed intention of moving up in weight. And yeah, uh, Martinez... Canelo's fighter. He's uh, he's much younger than uh, than even Estrada, if you thought. So there there was some difference in between the age of Gonzalez and Estrada. Uh, 
well, in fact, I don't even know how old is Martinez exactly. Is it is he like 22, 24, something Could, like that? I'm not definitely sure, but I, I think he's around 25-ish. Oh, yeah, yeah, but definitely, yeah. And uh, his style is more aggressive, more explosive. Yeah, I would say so. They're banking on it. I would definitely say so. And uh, on top of that, we already observed uh, all these big Western networks and promoters uh, starting to catch up on, on the little guys in the flyweight, bantamweight, signing Inoue, signing Casimero, etc. So the zone is doing the same thing, and they they acquired uh, Estrada, Martinez, uh, Gonzalez, and a lot of like, like we were able to see uh, Hiroto Kyoguchi, but also many other top light flyweight guys. So. Yeah, were you about to say something? Great points, but I wanted to ask you a technical question, getting down to the coup d'etat forensic analysis. Yeah. The way you scored the fight initially, I think you... Remind remind me how you scored the fight. I think it was nine rounds to three. Okay. Now, you've definitely done a lot more analysis than myself during the ensuing period from last week up until now. And you've also been undertaking a punch count analysis to try and not only elucidate how CompuBox is used very much to to promote and protect the A-side fighters, we know that they, they've done it definitively a lot throughout. You've only got to look at Floyd Mayweather, Andre Ward fights, Canelo fights, etc. You know, if, if as I keep saying, if CompuBox was a definitive and accurate scoring system, then the judges would use it, but they don't because it's not only prone to human error, but you've got to look at who, who actually owns the zone, look at the employees and try and tie them into the network who is ultimately their employer so it's just it's just a a way of hypnotizing once again simple as that nothing more nothing less i wouldn't pay any attention unless you're trying to look at the veracity of their stats and try and um try and dispel or try and corroborate whatever wherever if you're looking at it from the a side or if you're looking at it from with the B side or, or the A minus is in this case. So my question to you is now in rewatching the fight and doing your punch stat analysis, are your scorecards going to change? I know you've probably not completed your exercise throughout, but mm-hmm. what's your early thoughts on, on, on how you scored the fight on how you're seeing it now? Well, I, I, I can tell it, it's weird because um, there was definitely some good action, but it's not something, not a huge amount of Estrada's work that uh, watching it in slow motion, uh, he kind of did a bit better than I thought, but also I still do think, uh, I mean, personally, I would give him 
four rounds, man. I don't know. But watching it in slow motion, because I watched the, the whole analyzing the fight, etc. Uh, I have uh, I have compiled the punches for the first seven rounds, but I, I did a detailed analysis on the fight. So yeah, Estrada was doing a bit better than, than I thought initially, but nothing to, to tell me that it could be a draw or, or uh, perhaps him winning the fight, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, and by the way, yeah, while I was re-watching the fight, like I told you earlier, I, I had some notes... Uh, Written, uh, writing the notes in between the rounds, you know, like one or two lines for, for each and every round describing them. But what, what can I tell you, corruption, on the other hand, is that uh, re-watching the fight and analyzing it, it uh, reassured my initial thoughts that all, all the rounds I gave to Estrada were extremely close. Mm -hmm. So... I, I remember, was it the fifth or the sixth round, actually in scored punches, uh, Estrada, and, and that was that was uh, what I was telling you on Discord in between the rounds. I thought that uh, around one of the middle rounds that I gave uh, to Estrada, I mean, I gave him the sixth and the seventh. I scored it for Estrada. But I was telling you, man, it's still a close fight because uh, it looks like Estrada was landing some great punches, but I felt like uh, Chocolatito was still outlanding him. Uh, but I still gave the round to the rounds to, to Estrada. But mm -hmm. in, uh, in the sixth or the seventh round, I actually had uh, a Chocolatito outlanding Estrada by 20 punches. But uh, I, I, I could wow. still, uh, or, or even more, I cannot remember, 20, 20 something. But I could even, I could still say that it could be Estrada's round. But my point is that any of the rounds that I scored for Estrada were extremely competitive. Wow. <laughs> Not all the rounds that I gave to Chocolatito, but most of them were pretty much clear. And um, I, I would like to, to read something that, that I wrote before, before me reading you round by round description. So I wrote that Chocolatito served his purpose to the zone. And it's obvious, by the way, uh, Judging by the outcome of this fight, no discredit to Juan Francisco Estrada, who's a future Hall of Famer, a truly great fighter, and definitely the best current Mexican fighter, leaving Canelo miles behind him. Estrada, just like in many of his previous fights, showed a lot of heart, and I think that his heart is exactly what helped him win uh, rounds most of the rounds that he won in this fight. The scorecards are not his fault, but the trend of the promoters creating the synthetic legends or stars continued this last weekend. Not that Estrada is undeserving of being called a true legend on the contrary. In my opinion, he definitely is one already, but that boxing tradition of an old legend being beaten and passing a torch to a younger fighter has become very synthetic and can be counterproductive when the younger fighter doesn't really deserve a victory, at least uh, the hardcore boxing fans. 
it probably still serves the purpose of uh, the promoter or the ones who are fixing the fight when it comes to the larger audience who who wouldn't dispute the official decision. But as we saw in uh, Triple G Canelo fights, as well as uh, in uh, many other fights, how people can even start hating on a fighter who's on the receiving end of the gift victory. Although there are many other reasons for Canelo being hated. As you can claim, his whole career is being carefully crafted by, by the promoters. And to be honest, um, despite being a very good fighter himself, Canelo is a much lesser fighter than Juan Francisco Estrada. But the point is that Estrada doesn't deserve to be hated on for, uh, for the outcome of this fight. It's not his fault. And if anything else, he, pro he has proven once again that he's a fucking wonderful fighter so it would be a shame for Estrada to be treated the same way for being given a decision he did not deserve yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely uh, you know I mean no no blame is is being tabulated on one Francisco Estrada a magnificent fighter for me he was uh, well I mean, I've spoken about him for for so many years now. So, yeah, no problem there whatsoever. But just before I come back, but I want to go on to a question from Mateus in the chat regarding Usyk. And Mateus, um, if you know anything about me and my channel and my... knowledge on Alexander Rusik and the number of shows I've directed towards him and I may have been the, the first person within the entire boxing community and official can can concur or, or dispute that to say it right at the time that Alexander Rusik was making a mistake signing with DAZN because Eddie Hearn's interests are not for Alexander Rusik to, to become the world heavyweight champion so I was skeptical from the from the very start. And I've talked about all of the, the roadblocks that have been installed in front of Ula Usyk. The, the talent he possesses, the danger he possesses for a cumbersome sort of fighter like Anthony Joshua, who only really has size on him, maybe punching power, but Usyk has faced larger heavyweights. That's not going to be the deciding factor. So, and Eddie Hearn giving you know Joshua dispensation to watch the fight during the lockdown when some of Usyk's own family weren't even allowed to watch the fight in London. That says that Eddie Hearn will do everything in his capacity to make sure that Joshua retains, maintains the belts. And there was no reason for Usyk to be fighting Chaz Witherspoon, Derek Chisora, etc. If you've been upgraded to super champion status by the WBO, then the legality means you can challenge for the World Heavyweight Championship for the WBO portion when the, the sanctioning body caused, caused the fight. 
you know they work on the timetable especially if if a singular champion holds multiple belts then they have to try and coordinate some sort of timetable but we know that is not strict they don't adhere to any guidelines that's precipitated by pay-per-views and money etc because it's a collusion that is going on it's not a supervisory body these promoters are are it's about revenue generating entities that's exactly what they are nothing more nothing less so joshua we know commands is able to command huge revenues for fights in the united kingdom with gate receipts and and, and pay-per-view sales in the uk so the the sanctioning fees will be a lot higher for joshua so clearly eddie hearn his his proclivity his money it's not identity necessarily if usik would generate so much more revenues then maybe the decision would not be as complex but a russian speaking ukrainian who who's a road warrior is not really going to captivate uk audiences even though Usyk has, has done everything in his capacity to come to the UK, beat Bellew, try and increase his profile. He's won multiple amateur titles in, in the United Kingdom. Is is one of the greatest fighters of all time. And look at what he's been doing. Uh, no, no fighter, uh, you know, can, can sort of emulate what he's tried to do. Seven fights continuously on the road in the backyard of these fighters. So... So we know what Eddie Hearns is Eddie Hearn is doing. Just so go back, Matthias, and, and review some of the previous pods as we covered this in in detail, looked at all of the permutations of what Hearn is doing and 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 some of the the shenanigans that was going on in, in the Chisora fight, which just underscored to me that Eddie Hearn it, it it's no longer covert, it's actually explicit in what he was trying to do with Usyk, because he clearly didn't want Usyk to win that fight but Usyk was very circumspect he's a he's a master cerebral chess player and he never showed he 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 was in cruise control he didn't want to lay everything down because he knew Joshua was doing his reconnaissance so but what they're trying to do now is they're just trying to put roadblocks with a Joe Joyce fight now which I don't like for the reason that Usyk should be challenging for the world heavyweight championship but he's not going to get that fight and and to me it wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie Hearn then forces Usyk to fight the winner out of Dillian White and Alexander Pavetkin as well. Hence, another roadblock. Try and wear him down. He's 33, 34. You know, Joshua's a lot younger. You know, old manning. Get him into a position where he's just become a little bit punch drunk, worn down, beaten up. You know, not having the same athletic, the same hand speed, the same skills. His footwork, which is his his main asset, once that begins to slow down, and then it, it, it's a kind of barometer for the rest. So it's it's kind of difficult to transition for some of these fighters. So that's what that's Eddie Hearn's strategy, and that's that's going on in in, in boxing now. So absolutely, yeah, you know Alexander Usyk getting getting screwed over, and and uh, you know corruption in boxing was 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 articulating this from from the get-go but um 
don't know whether you've got anything to add to that official or should we go back to the card no no wonderfully explained I mean we are talking about Usyk who whose style is based on uh, on his uh, physical attributes I mean not only that of course but just like you said his footwork his hand speed it plays a lot and uh, he's older than AJ I mean Eddie is doing fucking anything possible everything possible to to derail him but yeah i i mean i have uh many more things to say about this fight so you just let me know if i, I know you're you've been busy and uh, you, if you're tired just let me know but yeah I, I, i'm just going to read you my description of the of of the round by round first round scored it for estrada they landed a similar amount of punches. I'd even say Roman landed one or two of best punches in the round, but I gave it to Estrada because of the work rate and work rate aggressiveness. He may also have landed just a few more punches, but it wasn't clear to me in normal speed. I'll wait to do my punch count for for the fight this week. And I did it later and it was twelve punches landed by Estrada and 12 by Roman. Uh, yeah, so while I'm scoring the fight, I'm not slowing it down. I'm I'm slowing it down to do the analysis, but while I'm trying to score a fight, I'm only always watching it in real speed. Anyways, second round scored it for Gonzalez. Clear round. Estrada landed a couple of more punches that I then I thought watching it live, but Gonzalez definitely outlanded him and landed many more hard punches, while Estrada hasn't landed many significant shots, if any. Third round, Gonzalez. Fairly close round, but you could arguably call it a swing round. Both were active, although Gonzalez definitely landed the harder and cleaner punches, maybe even slightly outworked Estrada, although I'm not sure about that, as Estrada was active as well. And yes, indeed, he outlanded Estrada. Fourth round, Gonzalez, dominant round. He clearly outlanded him and landed a lot more harder punches. Fifth round, Gonzalez. I wrote clear round, but uh, it was kind of competitive, but still clear round after rewatching it and doing my punch stats. Although Estrada was landing some very good punches from from time to time, Gonzalez outlanded him, plus was landing the bigger amount of hard punches in the process. He was also blocking a lot of Estrada's big punches and was making him miss a lot. Sixth round, scored it for Estrada. A swing round. Both times I felt uh, like Gonzalez outlanded him, and I even felt Gonzalez landed the bigger the bigger amount of hard punches. Estrada, for the first time, threw and landed some explosive punches. For the first time, throwing really really mean explosive combos. Uh, watching it both times, I believed. Gonzalez edged it out, but they scored it both times for Estrada for the fear of being called based biased toward Gonzalez. <laughs> Seventh round, Estrada, another swing round. Round of the year candidate. Both landed a lot of great punches. I still felt like Gonzalez was landing a bit more. 
a fantastic round, very tough to score. I'm giving it to Estrada for the same reason. Eighth round, Gonzalez. Dominant round. In the first half of the round, they were equal. But the last minute and a half of the round was all chocolatito. Then the ninth round, Gonzalez. A very competitive round. Not too much. Not too much action in the first two minutes where Gonzalez was winning, but a lot of action in the last minute. I'm not sure who won it. You can give it to Estrada as both were landing, but Estrada probably landed two or three of the most eye-catching punches. Tenth round, Gonzalez. Fairly competitive, yet clear round for Roman. Estrada was very active and was landing good punches himself, but got outlanded. And he got certainly outlanded in the amount of clean and hard punches. The 11th round gave it to Gonzalez, but another close round, very competitive. Uh, and uh, it was certainly competitive in the beginning. Uh, then Roman took it over, but at the end they were both landing, uh, landing in exchanges. Estrada was landing some eye-catching blows, so was Roman, but a few Estrada's blows were more. more... Hold on, I wrote. But I think, uh, yeah, I, I wrote, I thought that in the 11th round, maybe some of Estrada's blows were more uh, eye-catching for the simple reason that Roman was the one landing the better blows during most of the fight. So when Estrada was finally landing his own explosive blows, they were eye-catching for that simple reason because uh, we were not seeing him doing that uh, throughout the whole fight. So once he, he would let his hands go in an explosive manner, it would uh, look significant. At the same time, Gonzalez was landing well, well-timed tadding blows. But since he doesn't have the same fast twitch muscles and explosiveness in his punches, they may have been outlooked by the viewers um okay no it doesn't matter so another close round yeah so you can also debate that maybe estrada won it so it would it would make it for five rounds for uh, for estrada and the 12th round clear gonzalez round amazing and explosive round where estrada again showed a lot of heart was throwing non-stop while being in a survival mode and uh, this round was another candidate for the round of the year in fact i think that the sixth the seventh and the twelfth round could be candidates yeah. for, the, yeah. for the round of the year and in the, and, uh, in the first fight in the first one it was the fourth the eighth and the twelfth yeah the fourth definitely I remember now the, yeah. the other i cannot remember but yeah <laughs> but here's the problem official what is the probability of every swing round being directed to one fighter when the perception of the boxing public is that gonzalez had the better success in the in the latter quarter four of the fight 
it's just for me it's just incomprehensible there's no there's no logic there's no scientific fact or even proof in terms of stats and action to to justify that um But you, you see, my, my point is that being that Estrada was not throwing his explosive combos throughout the whole fight, the once he once he would do so, it was uh, it was catching the the viewers the viewers' attention. Yeah, we've so, talked about that style yeah. style over substance. Some of these guys with flashier combinations and the corruption it also yeah. uh, it also goes back to to a fighter having a great round then uh, judging his next round which is closer than than the one that he clearly dominated and uh, judging the fighter by by comparing his performance to the previous round that he had mm. instead of comparing his work in that round against his opponent's work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have grave issues. I've had grave reservations regarding the scoring criteria. I've, I've talked about it a number of times. Maybe I've got to now submit my recommendations to the sanctioning bodies because I think what my propositions make more sense in terms of defense, but technical aspects like that, it, it would then bring into question on the abilities of these people to actually review fights in that sort of context. It's it's just too convoluted for them. Uh, boxing is specifically entertainment, although as a sport, I've I've always I've always tend to looked at modern day boxing the way erroneous governments now mismanage the economy. You know, there is sound economic theory, but I kind of look at it the way you know, like for example, governments seem to think that if they increase taxation, they will receive greater it greater monies in tax receipts but if you really analyze it the, the opposite works out when when governments around the world have actually lowered tax they actually collect collect more in tax receipts exactly. the same way in boxing that the, the sanctioning bodies have decided to dilute the organization to try and increase their own market share and profit by increasing divisions to 17 and then so many and then splintering championships as well into one to two two to three three to four they feel that that'll increase you know market share for them given that there's obviously more an increase more sanctioning bodies as well now but if you look at the overall effect what has happened is that boxing has actually gone in a different direction it's it's lost it's lost not only its core base, but the, the numbers and the figures. It, it's been declining rapidly in the United States for the reason is that it, it cannot attract casual fans because casual fans do not really understand what is going on. The first thing a new fan, when they 
decide to watch boxing on upon the recommendations of whether it's their family member or friend or they they take up boxing for the first time at a gym with a view to try and increase their fitness the first thing that that casual fans do is they'll look up whatever their own weight division and, and find out you know who's the champion you know my nieces are 11 years old i've been teaching them how to fight um you know she'll ask me you know uncle who who, who who's the champion in at her weight weight category and i'm good like, luck <laughs> uh, good question there's actually four champions four world champions and it'll bemuse her and she's immediately well how, how can you have four world champions in one weight category you know tremendous question uh, not always not 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 obviously a simple simple to answer that question and 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 that's the problem with boxing is that they, you know casual fans cannot identify cannot recognize who is who is the outright the definitive champion in 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 the the respective weight categories so when you when when there's confusion and chaos um and that 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 manifests into the politics and the corruption and, and the unbelievable amount of corruption not only within the united states we know that but within boxing as a whole when you sort of consolidate all of these factors um it's it's a sport that that one wish that you you could gut you could just gut it internally you know get rid of all of the sanctioning bodies um even try and reduce the weight categories get them down 17 is far too much in my opinion um you certainly don't need four champions but you can understand with politics and if there's injuries that you do need interim belts here and there but it, it's not for me it, the remedial action is not difficult to implement but it's impossible to bring into force because it's a protection racket and look at some of the greatest promoters like bob arum you know bob arum was brought in by the government as a special prosecutor to try and eliminate corruption in boxing but he's actually taken over the rackets introduced legislation to try and exactly. remediate the power of 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 don king so he can take over the rackets it reminds me of that film uh with um um uh, it reminds me of that film with with Captain Dudley, the police captain who um, it takes over the the rackets of the organised crime family. It's got um, uh, a brilliant, brilliant film with Kim Basinger in it, and um, the the dude who, who starred in that Memento film, the Australian who used to be in Neighbours and. Um, and uh, Russell Crowe, a oh. brilliant film, but that that Captain Dudley, whoever, it, can't remember the name of the actor who plays the part, he, he takes over the rackets, and, and that's exactly what Bob Arum has done in boxing as well. He, he's he's become that, you know, that that that, that sort of figure. He's, he's just crossed those lines, and he's that that sort of special prosecutor, that sort of mentality, that sort of those ethical codes that he was that he that he should have those virtues that he should have brought in just 
you know, you, we've seen what he's done over and over the years. And we saw that, you know, recently with, with, with Vasily, whatever. It's, it's about business continuity. It's about top rank to continue. You've only got to look at the way he structured his company in Las Vegas and understand the way taxation works and look at where his holdings companies are for an incorporated company. <laughs> uh, you know, he understands finance and money laundering and, and fraud very well. And <laughs> if I had if I had the time, I'd, I'd, I'd go into another video about top. I, I definitely will, but... That's that's boxing official when we've got these promoters who are who who are just as dirty and, and and not only desecrating the sport in addition to the promoters, then for me there's just just there's just no no future in the sport. It'll it, it, it can only implode, and the only way it can implode is is these fighters, the, the exorbitant salaries that they're commanding and they're not even justifying it, they just want these salaries straight away without even seasoning, fighting any competition, having any domestic fights. They all want to be pay-per-view stars and we're seeing the young, younger generation, as we mentioned before, they're now bypassing amateur competitions because they know the sort of monies that are involved within the professional ranks. So they're getting no competition early on, whereas all of the fighters from Eastern Europe and Central America, you know, when was the last time you heard about an American having 300-odd amateur fights or here? But pretty much every every fighter from Russia, Uzbekistan, the Ukraine, even if they're not top tier, but even if they're mid-level, they're all having significant number of, if they've not gone to the Olympics, but they've had like Dimitri Beaver, he's not had top-tier victories, but he's had a lot of state and regional competition against good fighters, no doubt about it. So you can see how the skills have been honed and harnessed and how he's able to challenge guys very early on, like Suleiman Barrera and Joe Smith, etc. So they've had that competition. but So therefore, now these fighters are being used. They're doing the heavy lifting, and they're getting screwed over, just like the African-American fighters were in the from the 50s and after the after 64 after when the legislation was brought in by Lyndon Johnson when rights and voters rights were being introduced so we're seeing that being shifted onto you know those that those sort of eugenics policies being shifted over to now these fighters you know they're getting you know screwed over left right and center once they've done all of the heavy lifting won all the the, the fights you know, become unified champions, won free belts like Vasily, like Sergei Kovalev for their belts, you know, just literally to be stolen from them by so-called American or American-based fighters. So it's disgusting, the sport, you know, and I'm sick of it. Hence why I've almost become a recluse, almost a casual, you know. Absolutely, absolutely, man. <laughs> Couldn't say it any better. For real, you have a new crop of guys just like you said, doing all the heavy lifting, only to, to put them against your hope, your future big name, to take it over, <laughs> the takeover. <laughs> That's right. But, yeah, I, I, I have uh, some, some other interesting points about uh, Estrada versus Gonzalez. <laughs> I keep digressing on to... No, 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 
no problem at all. I'm enjoying it, but I'm looking at my notes. And uh, my, my point is I'm trying to do it, me personally, I'm trying to do it to do it as fast as possible because I know that when I talk it it can take some time and I know that uh, you need uh, you need some rest so that's the only reason why I was uh, going back to to the fight but corruption anyways what do you think uh, what would Wilder think about the wrinkles on uh, Chocolatito's puncher's gloves (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, man, uh, and what's what's even worse? I do think that they know it's all BS. I, I, I think even a slightly retarded person like Wilder would would know what a puncher puncher's glove is. But yeah, it was it was obvious to me even watching the fight live. <laughs> yeah, it would have been it would have been magnificent if Roman would have instead of Caballero. We would have hired Mark Breland for the rematch. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And by the way, yeah, I was... um, Look, I was uh, listening to the video of our friend Dell, Blue Color Sports TV. Shout out to him. But I I have to disagree with him. I, I even wrote this in the notes. Because, uh, yeah, he was saying that he thought people were, um, how do you say, hypnotized by by the zone's commentary, which by his own words was pro Roman Gonzalez. Now, I have a the zone subscription, paying only two euros. I was watching it. But I I wasn't watching the U.S. version, the U.S. commentary. It's nice that they have an option to watch the Spanish commentary, which was not any better. And I only wanted to say that, obviously, the Spanish version of, of the transmission of this fight was extremely pro, pro Estrada. So I just wanted to say that it cannot be possible that people scored it, had Roman as a clear winner, most of the people, because of the zone's commentary, if it indeed really was pro-Roman, because obviously Mexicans commentating on uh, on the zone, on the Spanish version, were so pro-Estrada. So I just wanted to, to address that as well. And... Uh, Man, good question to me would be uh, where would you rank and where would I rank um, Chocolatito and Estrada on our pound for pound list? In my own opinion, I would I, I would say uh, Roman. I, I mean, what I was thinking before the fight, I would say that a win for Roman would be slightly bigger than than a win for Estrada because Estrada was fighting clearly past his prime Roman. While you can you can argue that uh, Estrada is at the end of his prime. Now both game gave a wonderful gave wonderful performances in this fight, both of them. But Roman's I'm, position. Roman would Roman's position would be elevated because Estrada is the natural 
bigger fighter. Mm-hmm. Roman is therefore fighting above his natural weight at 115 pounds and has beaten the bigger fighter to become a unified, well, he should have become a unified champion. So in adherence to our criteria and the coup d'etat's pound-for-pound rankings, Roman won the fight and therefore beaten the bigger fighter, the WBC and the Ring Magazine champion. So therefore, for me, he goes to number one. Yeah, me too. Because I was about to tell you the way I was seeing this uh, right before the fight. I was telling myself, well, if Roman wins this, I could uh, place him on my number one spot. But if Estrada wins, I could place him somewhere in between number one and number three or four. Because, yeah, he's a bigger fighter. He's fighting past his prime Roman, so it would not be such a huge victory as if it would be for Roman. So, so yeah, I definitely do agree with you. I mean, at least number two, but uh, I, I, I would say number one, probably. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, maybe we'll do a, a brief revised or an updated pound for pound top 10 next show um Sounds big nice. boxing forthcoming this weekend some key fights so we'll try and come back in the post fight and as a as a final section we'll we'll give our give our updated top 10 not as extended as obviously the five hour show we'll try and do it in like 10 minutes instead of um so official i'm going to come back onto this fight as well briefly next time because i i still need to do my own stats and re-watch the fight i've not even seen it a second time so i i just wanted to touch briefly on the undercard unless you have any additional or conclusion con- sort of finishing remarks on the fight yeah yeah in fact i do i have two of them okay uh, as fast as possible, as quick as possible. Yeah. Uh, okay. So first of all, yeah, expect uh, a full punch count for this fight in between uh, Estrada and uh, Gonzalez very soon in a couple of days on this channel. So yeah, I uploaded uh, rounds one and two, but on my own channel. But expect the whole punch count video, an hour, an hour and a half long. In a couple of days here on the coup d'etat of boxing now two points that i wanted to make obviously about uh, the judging just to quickly point it out don't even need to talk too much about it but uh, if look just like the fighters are learning from the previous generations and uh, are honing their skills and uh, so they're able to to come up with something new and to to improve just like that the same way even uh, fixing <laughs> fixing fights improves so we have a couple of fights recently where uh, in the last couple of years they would so we would have a clear winner 
and uh, there would be one outrageous scorecard. Now, what I suspect is that an outrageous scorecard is placed intentionally to take all the blame. So even even the other scorecard that is uh, that is uh, scored uh, that that has the opponent who didn't really want the fight as a winner, let's say 115-113 for a fighter who clearly still clearly lost the fight, kind of becomes more justifiable um, by, by the stands, by, by the cocksuckers, by the blind fans, you know, so that that's one point that I wanted to make. So <laughs> take a close look at some of these robberies that we had, Canelo, Triple G, now this one, the other ones as well. Keep it in mind. Now, my very last point I would like to make about this fight, I would kind of like to compare, just briefly compare, this fight to to their first fight, I would say that the difference is, yeah, there, there were a lot more exchanges. I mean, there was a huge amount of exchanges in the first fight as well. But the difference is, in the first fight, Estrada was um, using much more of his footwork. He was bouncing around and uh, he was, he was um, doing... He was uh, his intention in the first fight was uh, in a lot of rounds to to keep the distance from Roman, while this was not so pronounced in in the rematch. That's one thing that uh, that it came to my attention. Now I was telling you, and clearly Roman uh, was catching him with the overhand right a couple of times, while. Uh, Estrada was pivoting out on his front foot, but not as much as I expected for, for, for the simple reason that Estrada fought a lot more than, than I expected. Now, but, 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 but the way that I figured out uh, Roman was <laughs> landing his straight and overhand rights a lot of times in this rematch was... Uh, well, I already, and I, I would like to say that a lot of things that you and myself, that we said in our fight breakdown in, in the two shows before the fight happened and came, came out to be true. And so one of them was I was, I was showing you a video clip of uh, Quadras uh, manipulate, manipulating Estrada's guard by hooking off the jab and moving to the left or Estrada's, Estrada's right. Now, this was kind of unexpected because we, we was not really seeing it in the first fight. Uh, like I told you, in the first fight, uh, Roman was mainly catching him with the overhand right while Estrada was pivoting out on his front foot. But this time he was doing the thing that Quadras was doing, only that uh, he was uh, throwing one-twos while Quadras was uh, hooking off the jab. And uh, just take a look at this very thumbnail, this thumbnail of this video. You see Estrada's guard, and I, I, I was telling you that both of them, uh, Estrada and Chocolatito, 
they can have their their uh, pairing rear hand manipulated because they both like to to parry punches with the right hand, just the way uh, Estrada is doing in this very thumbnail. So the way the way Roman was uh, landing his overhand right on him most of the times would be he would throw a jab while stepping to the left or uh, Estrada's right, and uh, Estrada would then uh, turn his uh, shoulders to make himself a smaller target, you know, kind of kind of like shoulder roll like uh, situation and would try to parry with his rear hand. But being that Roman was taking that step to the left on his jab, uh, he was putting Estrada's glove in this very position, like you can see on a thumbnail, and was nailing him on his, um, how do you call it, um, about his eyes. I don't know how do you call it this part, uh, on his front, right? The part of the head uh, that is about the eyes. Forehead. Forehead, yeah, forehead, thank you. And if you take a look at the fight, this is how Roman scored a huge amount of, of the overhand and straight rights on, on Estrada. That was just something that, that I want to, to bring to, to all of your attention. Great points. It's one of those fights where time is just irrelevant there's so much analysis you know we can do that he wouldn't even would even do the fight any justice there was just so much action but you've really got to slow it down and look at the the intricacies the beauties what they tend to do um there's a lot of power chess going on tapping i see roman tapping estrada's elbow there's guard disruption of guard there's small feints small reactions there's fadeaway punches there's anticipation punches roman doing what he was doing in the first fight in anticipating where estrada is going to move to because he was more prone that's his instinct as as his defense to, to try and sort of move laterally shift the romans left to try and negate romans counter what he was doing countering with the right hand certainly when estrada was was he has that neck of cycling from a from a jab to a lead up a cut to a left hand to the body with very little recoil it's one of the the nicest punches in boxing that sequence he does but gonzalez was aware of that and he was kind of trying to counter him before estrada would land the hook to the body to come up with the right hand when estrada because he tends to square up that punch a little bit so you can see the left hook coming um it's just instincts of a veteran fighter who knows his opponent has studied him, has fooled him. Great action. No doubt that a rubber match or, or a, whenever it happens, if the WBC can intervene and demand 
an immediate rematch that would be for me warranted justified and it would be so much better than a than, than a third Sarisakat fight you know I'm not really interested in that yeah same for me uh sorry for interrupting just yeah. quickly yeah it, in fact it would be the same thing that I did uh with Roman uh, with the first Sorong uh, fight uh, the third fight is not really deserved. I mean, being that we've been given a fantastic action fight, uh, why not see it? It would be lovely. But at the same time, from the standpoint that Roman clearly won this fight, uh, the third fight, a rubber match, is not really needed in that sense. But yeah, uh, at least judging from uh, what our friend B-Space commented on one of the Discord groups. I don't know how true is it, but he said that uh, Roman, it looks to be that uh, he's having a meeting with uh, W very soon in just a few days, and that he will be indeed pushing for, for a rubber match for an immediate rematch. What, what better way is there to feed El Gallo to Ray Martinez with yet another career shortening fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got Eddie Hearn. We'll, we'll see what the Sarisakat, how the WBC are going to manage, coordinate the, what takes precedence, whether at a mandatory position or, or some sort of an injustice and and an immediate rematch. I'm not sure. It, it's kind of frustrating to try and predict, you know, the decision-making process of these corrupt sanctioning bodies or whatever it is. There'll be sufficient demand and outrage, no doubt about it. it. It will sell, given not only how good this fight was, but if if. The general opinion for most people, if they, it's kind of like a maybe a 75 25, it might even be 60 40. I don't know, I'm not on social media, but I kind of sense that most most of the people who, who scored the fight favored Gonzalez. So, from that point, some sort of you know remediation or justice, they would no doubt there would be sufficient demand for a third fight, even if there is a degradation of both fighters. But both of them suffered punishment in in the fight, no doubt about it. So I, I don't think it's going to affect one fighter more than the other. Good thing with Roman, he's still hungry for fights. There's no sense of retirement there, which is good to see. Heartbroken, no doubt about it. You know, bitterly, bitterly heartbroken. That's that 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 is what caused the emotion. It it wasn't anything else. He, he was heartbroken. He was disappointed. The so-called system had let him down. You know, he felt betrayed, no doubt about it. But, um, yeah, I've got nothing, nothing further to add on the fight. Not until I rewatch it. Okay, so let's then go to to the undercard. Yeah, I'll, I'll go on to it briefly um, for for two reasons. The co-main event, the world. The women's welterweight undisputed championship rematch, a fight that was so derisory 
that it, that it clearly had no no business being on a fight of this sort of you know overriding quality a poor sort of cumbersome fight in which Cecilia Brackus once again had some sort of a mental suicide didn't implement the adjustments that she made in the first fight a little bit too consumed by emotion and maybe she just looked at McCaskill's very low knockout ratio and thought she could knock her out and what the hell has happened to Abel Sanchez you know not no <laughs> coherent wise instructions to tell a fighter look you're continuously getting nailed with a fighter who's just waiting for that overhand right and you just keep walking into that punch I, I didn't hear any instructions you know I mean what the fuck is this guy even doing in boxing still um great question I, I couldn't believe and, and and Cecilia you know she did realize at some points how to fight a against somebody like that. She's comprehensively the better boxer. McCaskill is just crude, just a crude banger. Um, but that was a poor quality fight. But the, the the scorecards once again, the margin of victory for, for McCaskill, 10 round fight, 10 two minute rounds, it was atrocious. I think the judges had it almost like eight rounds to two may even be nine to one he was it was i don't even recall but he was clearly didn't reflect the fight you know cecilia definitely won rounds i don't think she won the fight but she may have won around four rounds but she kept getting now she was definitely buzzed up at certain early on some of the middle stages Sustained a, a little bit of a recovery mid to late rounds, but didn't realize how to use those feints, try to create the angle to try and lure, set the bait for that right hand, then slip it, pivot off to the left, and just do what she was doing in rounds six, seven, eight in the first fight. But ah, I, I kind of, kind of, <laughs> kind of surprised me, but you know, that that's maybe that's. The premature state of women's boxing at the moment is there's no real evolution i only see sinicia strada as, as as the best women's fighter but also on the undercard we had the, the debut of hiroto kiyoguchi junior flyweight 108 pound champion fighting up against vega who who previously challenged who also fought at june at minimum weight before challenge unsuccessfully challenged for a world title back then but moved up in weight as well and uh kiyoguchi's had a quite a turbulent period with covid and a long layoff out the ring and now making his debut for for matchroom i think he's being managed by the rhinoceros some sort exactly. of a, some sort of a a tri-party agreement with with eddie and and, and the rhinoceros and what the hell was he doing? You know, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, as I was saying to official, you know, you, you can't <laughs> fight a leprechaun on the inside. Somebody who's four feet nine, low center of gravity. You know, there's not a lot of real estate to target. And, you know, you're the taller fighter. You're trying to punch downwards. So you're not maximizing your power. You've got to try and bend. But even still, 
Vega was very accomplished fighter. Knows how to fight on the inside. Great counter-puncher, good body puncher, and Kiyaguchi was certainly getting pieced up, you know, fighting on the inside. He, not really a fight you want when you're fighting for the first time in a different country on a card and you've had a long layoff. That's, that's a tough, stylistic, bit of a nightmare matchup. Started cut, started maintaining distance and range a little bit, trying to set some traps, trying to keep the fight a little bit long, trying to use his jab. So he was kind of, you could see he was kind of figuring out what to do. But we saw what happened at the end, you know, Vega, you know, hitting Kiyaguchi's, you know, rock-hard samurai head. And he was fortunate when he turned around. Kiyaguchi sort of flew in with that Sega Tiger uppercut, almost took his head off. Luckily, <laughs> luckily the, the referee jumped in because he was clearly not protecting, protecting himself. He was obviously in a crazy amount of pain. Broken his, you know, third metacarpal. Um, turned his back. Kiyaguchi thought, "Here we go, man. Let me pull out the samurai sword and take him, take his head off." But um, yeah, pity, you know, Kiyaguchi was starting to, starting to make a little bit of adjustments. Maybe trying to figure him out a little bit. So it would have been interesting to see what would happen for the remainder. But Vega definitely gave a good account of himself. Was trying to become the smallest world champion in in history as well. At sort of four feet nine, four feet nine and a half. Um, good little fighter, not a bad little scrap, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hiroto, um, I think it was a Hiroto's mandatory. I think fighter from Thailand. I've, you know that that fight was put on the back burner as well. So very difficult preparation, stylistically very difficult fight as well. So. We'll give him, we'll give Hiroto a pass on that one, but yeah, let, let him try and get into a routine, um, get him, you know, get him two free fights. Is that a frustrating period after, you know, Hecky Butler fight where he had a lot of steam, a lot of momentum? So they need to build him up again, you know, get him match fit, get him seasoned, and then I'm sure some point in the future, if he gets past this mandatory. I'm sure they're looking at a, a unification with Felix Alvarado. Yeah, this would be wonderful. Now, look about that fight in between Vega and Hiro. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, do you have anything else to say on the fight? No, no, no. Over to you, my good man. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that fight, look, even right before the fight, I think I was tweeting to... To Doug Fisher on Twitter, who who was uh, tweeting about the fight that was about to start, and right before the fight, I wrote him uh, something along the lines of, "Man, it just sucks that Hiroto Kyoguchi is fighting such a such a short guy on his debut in America." Because the thing is. Hiroto Kyoguchi, he, he loves to work on the inside, but against the fighters who are similar to, to his uh, height or even uh, taller fighters, not necessarily, not always taller, 
but even when he's fighting smaller fighters, they're not as tiny, as short as as Vega was. So I knew in advance that there's uh, there was a huge risk of him not looking very good. And plus, on top of that, uh, him uh, he's preparation for this fight being questionable due to to COVID that that he suffered. I knew that it risks not to look good for him, but the fight itself, it was looking extremely exciting. I was I was really enjoying it. The the problem was that anticlimactic finish because if it went on, I believe it would be a very good fight. Now for sure the first Two three rounds, he was really having a a trouble, you know, having to to adjust to to much shorter explosive fighter, and nobody la- likes to fight them. So yeah, it was looking bad for him, and he was getting getting nailed with some great. <clears throat> Excuse me, please. With some great, um, uh, great punches, but I felt like from the third round on, he kind of started uh, catching his timing. He started blocking his punches on the inside. Um, yeah, he was not throwing, going all out, uh, throwing the explosive combos, the same ones, same ones that Vega was throwing at him. But he was doing. He started adjusting and doing, you know doing a much better job on the inside while throwing less punches at least that's that's what i got watching it live i haven't rewatched the fight yet so i may be wrong about it but that was that's what i think i was seeing yeah i think um one of the coup d'etat of boxing's best prospects jesse bam rodriguez he would have been watching that fight and food. If I'd been in the ring with Hiroto, he would have been sushi for me. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. I think Robert Garcia was talking about how they were negotiating with Eddie Hearn for actually Rodriguez to fight Kiyoguchi, as we talked about ages ago. But it, it's hard to to try and convene what, what exactly happened. They said they were offered it or Mr. Honda was offered it and then they declined at the last minute. I'm not sure, but Jesse was more than willing to, to step in even as the substitute and, and fight for the for his maiden world championship. Um, but that's just a matter of time. The, the talent he possesses, that would be, actually be a fantastic fight, but if it happens a little bit down the line, um, you know, with Hiroto personally, I think that would be a, an amazing fight. Um, once we see a seasoned, you know, fully fit, healthy Hiroto, not sure if he, where he's going to reside or whether it's going to be the United States or whatever. Got to try and figure out what his logistics are, but once he's settled in, he feels at home, you know, he's going to try and have to learn another language. So it's very difficult for those who have not lived in any other countries. You know, I, I can tell you I've, you know, lived in over six countries. Is It's it's very, very, very difficult having to learn. You know, official will tell you himself, you know, he's multilingual now. He's 
he's he probably he's probably can have a very fluent conversation with Hiroto in Japanese now. So that's yeah, it's, it's <laughs> tough, you know, trying to acclimate. So we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. So hopefully down the line, you know, that fight can happen. Uh, even if it happens before an Alvarado unification, I wouldn't mind that. But Bam Rodriguez will will, will be world champion. No doubt about that for us. Exactly. Just like you said, it's just a matter of time. Nothing else. Nothing else than than that. And it would be a fantastic fight. But to be honest, yeah, I, I never knew about that, that, uh, that um, Garcia was offering that fight to Hiroto. But however, yeah, being with all the things that we just mentioned, about Hiroto and his preparation and him not fighting for a while. Uh, I totally give him a pass and I would prefer him to, to be better prepared for, for such a fight. Although, yeah, um, Bam Rodriguez is not that, that, that experience, you know, but yeah, but uh, Hiroto should, should get more time to, to prepare for, for that fight. That's, that's a real fight. Absolutely. I mean, Bam Rodriguez is definitely not the opponent you want to face after, what, 16 months out of the ring and having recovered from a, a potentially fatal illness as well. No. So whatever the, the fate had convened, probably better that Rodriguez, um, because Hiroto probably would have been knocked out. Yeah, yeah. The, the fight would have gone... Um, Probably would have been mid to late stoppage. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, something unless unless Jesse Rodriguez hurts his hands too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hiroto's Hiroto's entire head is like an egg weight. Yeah, egg weight. <laughs> Fucking yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want an autopsy? Is that is that calcium bone or is that some sort of <laughs> compound? Well, oh, but uh, yeah, to, to to go to go back to 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 the co-main event. Yeah, look, I have to to say one thing to because I never addressed this specifically. But I feel like I never really talked about. People know that I dislike many things about the female boxing, woman boxing, but I want to 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 explain it. Yeah, it, it's just from a standpoint of, of a boxing fan who wants to to see the skills of the highest order, and uh, yeah that fight in that sense clearly underperformed and I was not satisfied. And it was fr frustrating because you can see um, uh, what's the Norwegian Nor Nor girl's name. Oh, I, I forgot it. Cecilia. Oh, Cecilia, yeah. Brackhus. Brackhus, yeah. Yeah, she, she, she could clearly has some talent, but he was getting, she was getting hit all over and over with the overhand right. Uh, carrying that lead hand low, it was frustrating, and uh, you, you was 
thoughts pattern with the scorecard because I think I gave Cecilia five rounds. Now, yeah, as a boxing fan who who's there to, to see the skills of the highest order, I was frustrated, and that's why I'm very often frustrated with, with the women, women boxing. But on the other hand, uh, look, you know that just like you, me, myself, I love to, to analyze boxing to, and uh, you know that it would be my dream to, to do a trainer's job or something like that, something that has to do with boxing and uh, learning, teaching, etc. Uh, whether it uh, doesn't matter if it's being a boxing coach or a, or a matchmaker, but as I'm, I'm telling myself, if if I was a boxing coach, I would welcome anyone who 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 loves the sport to to do it. You know, so same goes for the females. I'm not. I would never hate on them. In fact, it would be a challenge, and it would be very interesting to 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 get a female boxer and to try to to improve her as much as possible. Especially because uh, I feel like uh, the women's boxing, it's uh, the, the, they could make such a such a difference in between them, in between them and their opponents. Uh, just by learning the skills because uh, it feels like they don't have uh, the same punching power nowhere near as the male boxers. So just improving the technique and the skills alone and the strategy, uh, making them think more in the ring than, than most of them currently do, would, would do wonders for, for a lot of them. And there are perhaps some boxers that that I watched once or twice and, I, and that I enjoy. And like, like you said, uh, Senisa Estrada, right? Her and also the, the big girl that's, that's working with, with Fury, uh, Savannah Marshall, I saw that she has some real skills. Okay, she's, she's too huge for, for her opponents, at least from, from her last fight. Uh, I think I saw that in the last fight she was much bigger than the opponent and that's something that I always disliked in boxing but man even Savannah Marshall she has some real real skills probably I don't know if if I, it's not like that I'm watching women boxing for now but yeah I liked what uh, what I saw from her yeah. on that card. I believe I believe Senecia Estrada who for me, is the best female boxer in in boxing. is is actually moving down in weight for a world championship, and she's moving down to one hundred and five pounds this weekend. So that that'll that'll definitely be because she's an explosive puncher, who's very heavy handed. She won Francisco Estrada's sister. Oh, because I was guessing, man, she has the same name as Estrada, so she's... Uh, she's maybe, I don't know. Oh, I'm not sure, but I think she may be. That's what I was asking myself. Sorry for cutting you off, but yep. that was just what I was about to say. I saw just that only one fight that she got criticized for, for, uh, for being put in the ring with... Uh, 
with an opponent who was uh, who was nowhere near her league. Yeah. But through the, the explosiveness, I, I said I never saw a woman, a woman boxer uh, throwing combos that tight and that explosive. So yeah, that was so man. lovely to see. And I want to, to, to see Sinisa Estrada. <laughs> Her combos. She's, a, she's as sexy as a motherfucker. And that right beats space. Oh, I, I think so. I think so. I think I, I, I saw her images, and I would say even her, her combos are more, more compact than Francisco's Estrada's combos. Don't mind shortening my combos on her, man. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> But um, uh, going back to Cecilia Blackhouse uh, versus her uh, her opponent uh, um, scale or whatever, yeah. watching that fight, being that I was frustrated with, uh, with with the way that fight was looking to me, I I felt so bad the need to to switch and um, go watch uh, the Benavides fight, but I was I was. I was afraid of missing <laughs> missing the main event because you know woman boxing it's around two minute rounds, so I was afraid of missing it. Yeah, I haven't the... seen that fight. Um, not even seen any highlights. If you want to talk about that briefly, yeah, by yeah. all means. Well, look, in fact, I've never really watched the entire fights of Benavides, or I cannot remember watching them. Certainly not analyzing them. Well, this fight, I, I cut it a day after. It was, look, he, he's nice when he throws his combos. I even like his counter-punching. Man, his, his counter-punching is so lovely. Um, his opponent was limited, but he was doing his best and um, the thing is he was getting Benavides was getting nailed by a lot of jabs trying to pull back use his height but uh, getting hit with a lot of uh, straight punches and jabs uh, to the chest and upstairs but still yeah whenever Benavides lets his hands go it's it's so really, really nice to see. He's oh, he he punches really hard. Um, I mean, not a destructive puncher, but I love the way he he punches. Uh, he's he's putting everything in his punches uh, when he throws his his combos. So I wasn't really analyzing uh, analyzing that fight in depth, but oh, he's a bad he's a bad muchacho. Yeah, no oh. doubt about it. Yeah. So, but I never followed him for now. I knew that he was a good fighter, but never, never. Really, I mean, you know me. Uh, I'm, I'm trying. I'm doing my best when watching, watching fights. So that's why I don't have uh, enough time to to watch all the, and follow all the fighters. So mm -hmm. he was one of them that I was not really following, but I will from uh, from now on. Official with that. With that height and reach, the power, the speed, and the, and the precision of that jab, do you really think Canelo, with his Aladdin curly toe sandals, can walk him down, slip the jab, get on the inside, and and target the body with that that sort of with the discrepancies in height and reach? If it was a legitimate fight, you know the the the, the sort of negative the 
the inertia of his footwork, no way at all. I, I don't see it. I think Benavides would just be snipering, piecing him up at that, that sort of range. Well, you know what? I, I, I want to, to, to be careful, you know. You know me, you know that I don't like to, to talk about the fights before doing my my film study. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, man, Benavides looks like uh, he would give Canelo hell, especially with those combos. And uh, I see no reason for Canelo to... to <laughs> I, I don't see no reason for Benavides to be given... A fair fight against Canelo, if if much lesser fighters than him, like like the, <laughs> like Smith, like uh, like Hilderim, were, were not given that opportunity. They they probably assigned uh, a close to to keep their mouth shut and to come in the ring drained as fuck. So yeah. no reason for Benavides, who's especially extremely tall and is certainly having a hard time uh, cutting down to 168. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I cannot see Benavides being given a fair shake against Canelo. He's going to get A-sided the fuck out of him. So I love the way he, I love the way he talks when he... He, he he just dismisses Canelo and all of the others. He just say, "Oh, fuck him up right now." Um, yeah, a fighter's fighter, <laughs> a fighter's fighter. That yeah. that that's it. But but by the way, it looks like while Charlo he's saying that he he wants to fight him, but we know that these guys do much more talk than work. So. I don't know how true is it. It would be wonderful if if they make that fight in between Benavides and Carlo, but I'd love to see that fight in Bangkok, Thailand. (laughs) (laughs) Benavides would face him to Bangkok. In the beauty salon, just fight in there. And uh, Charlo gets his purse stolen in the process by by, by the talented Krennis. <laughs> yeah, and gets his his beautiful white pearly teeth knocked out as well. <laughs> oh man, man, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, the the same way Danny Garcia is gonna go up to 150 ball and conquer <laughs> that division. Charlo at 168. No chance. This guy just specializes in beating up fighters coming from a defeat and then proclaiming to be a a pound for pound great. Why don't you try and fight a a legitimate in the prime seasoned fighter coming off a coming off a sustained winning record and then we'll see how good you are. You know, Tom Laughlin talks about how many offers that Golovkin had sent to Jamal Charlo, who clearly didn't want to entertain any fight, declined oh, what three, three or four offers, yeah, legitimate offers. So these fights, these fighters can talk about, and they can lie and procrastinate. Talk about how they were mandatory for a certain number of years, why they were denied a fight, only because they declined the fight or they had no business in trying to get in the ring. So. 
Uh, it is what it is, you know. He can remain in that weak house, 160-pound division, fighting nobody. Canelo's no longer there, so... We'll just have to wait for one of one of the Uzbek fighters to turn over pro after the Japanese Olympics. So, yeah, uh, yeah, forget about that. And with Canelo and David Benavides, there's a reason why Canelo never called out Benavides whilst he was the WBC champion. But soon as he loses his belt, he's on the phone with with Suleiman straight away and trying to get a fight for the vacant belt with having to yield him or or fight for the vacant belt. And then when the zone well when the zone via Golden Boy declined the fight first time, Canelo invokes a lawsuit to try and extricate himself from the contract. So Canelo can talk with everyone, but he's one of the biggest pussies in boxing, so fuck that. Of course, fuck him, fucking bitch. Yeah, I mean uh, like uh, like the the other people are saying his whole career he's been uh, avoiding fighters uh, doing uh, a Riddick bow on that WBC belt and now he he's the one talking about uh, there should be only one weight division which is in the true but <laughs> I mean Canelo you're, you're talking about that just now and you're talking about willing to unify because you want to be a real champion to, to, to become the undisputed I mean, he's fuck just, off. yeah, he's just a master of recycling belts. It's amazing how belts all of a sudden matter to him now, especially when the division is as weak as it is. But beforehand, he's more than happy to vacate the WBC 160-pound belt, WBO 154-pound belt. Soon as a reasonable challenge becomes his mandatory, he vacates and moves up. Done that his whole career. Um, you can just go back to Matthew Haddon, a 147-pound fighter, vacate, uh, ranked at, what, 10th in the, the rankings, but he fights for the championship without 154, you know, pull him up. He's done it his entire career. So we, we've already done a brilliant, one of the best videos on Canelo's, uh, Canelo's bitch-ass tactics throughout his, his professional career, you know, just a... A fugazi, you know, a fraud. Unbelievably talented, skillful fighter. He's got all of the ability. Um, but the baton, the, 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 the blueprint to how to maximize revenue for the least amount of effort, but manipulating all of the odds, the baton was passed to him as a euphemism for when, when, when Floyd defeated him. But at the same time, you know, that, that blueprint, was was transferred to him for Canelo to sort of advocate and implement to a T, um, which is which is doing now, and you know credit to him, you know. Yeah, I, I just want to add something quickly. Oh, corruption! Uh, it's uh, corruption. It says your uh, your device is not connected, so please jump out and ju uh, jump back in. Uh, I don't know if you hear me, corruption. Please jump out and jump back in. It says your device is not connected. Oh damn! Yeah, but it, it just as just as I was about to say, I mean, corruption and myself we spoke about this privately on Discord. But yeah, I want to to make it official on the coup d'état of boxing. 
very recently, Kevin Aioli was tweeting about speaking with Canelo's team and them saying that they basically approached Perturbiev before approaching Kovalev for a fight at 175, um, <laughs> which is a complete nonsense. I mean, didn't this ballless guy always trying to fight easiest fight possible, waiting on uh, Triple G to get old? Yeah, but you're, you're going to jump in and ask to fight a much bigger beast in uh, therapy. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, and uh, just as Kevin Aioli said that on Twitter, Arthur Beterbiev answered, answered him and told that it's a complete lie, that it's announces that he was never approached by Canelo and his team, and that, in fact, he's more than willing to fight him, and that he was urging Canelo and his team to, to contact him. Um, complete uh, it, it, it's just funny and on top of that uh, I heard a day or two ago that he was trying to Beterbiev he was saying that he's available for the next fight if Canelo doesn't have a new opponent yet he's willing to fight him um, fuck, it's fucking crazy. But it just it, it just shows you further what what of a bitch Canelo is, and uh, many other fighters following his footsteps. I mean, we at Kudeta Boxing we are not against that. Go, go gain as much money as possible. We all want you nothing but the best, but don't take us for fools. Corruption, welcome back in. Yeah, looks like our our anti our anti battery missile defense is being breached once again. <laughs> Damn sure it looks that way. Yeah, we're going to have to reinforce that before we plan our siege of Bavaria next year. <laughs> Something tells me it's it's the Mexican cartel trying to... <laughs> yeah. So anyways, what was you about to say? Because I, I just told them about uh, about the Baturbiev fiasco, Canelo pretending that he, he yeah. was looking at Baturbiev, in fact. And the only reason that he fought Kavalev is because Baturbiev and his team declined the offer, saying, telling Canelo that they have some other fight in mind. <laughs> yeah. Kind of reminds me of the whole Devin Haney and Vasily and Lenari situation when you're already oh, locked into a contract and then you try and send some sort of superficial offer to to Vasily, which you know is not 
there's no statutory it's not an executed contract in any way possible so it's not going to be a legitimate deal it's just designed to pacify any critics etc because you're under so much criticism for fighting nobody's um <laughs> the tactics that goes in boxing Fucking unbelievable, yeah. And uh, as you're mentioning that shit, yeah, I guess you guys all know, but uh, basically Devin Haney uh, just made a deal with uh, Linares and his team to fight them. And so Linares signed the fight, and uh, then after Linares signing the fight, Bill Haney contacted Klimas, asking him if Loma is willing and ready to fight them. So Loma's team had to to contact Linares' team only to find out that Linares already signed a fight, um, a fight against Haney. And so, yeah, it just shows you what a bunch of cloud chasers these the fag four are. Yeah. They're kind of using that old PBC strategy, what they were doing before. You see it all the time using somebody's name, like a Manny Pacquiao's name. But with Tiafima Lopez, the strategy, he fights specifically on Vasily's card because he's got no profile, a little bit of an amateur profile. So people know there's a little bit of buzz around him, so you just get him on his undercard. It gets, you give him nothing but highlight, knockout real victories, increases his profile. He starts trash talking, talking about how he's been mirroring Vasily's career, how he's his target. So you can kind of prognosticate what's going to happen. They're, they're, they're preparing Vasily for him. Top rank is looking at that business continuity plan, a changing of the guard and uh, the, the takeover, <laughs> the illegal takeover or the unjustified takeover. And... Um, but with with Devin Haney, as I've talked about before, I think that winning winning the belt when you're not a seasoned fighter is like an albatross around his neck. Talented fighter, but clearly didn't need to be a champion at such a premature stage of his career because we talked about how hardcore boxing fans and they and their argument is very valid. Same with Joshua once with joshua and the ibf once you become a world champion you're no longer a prospect it's no longer about trying to improve your boxing skills or preparing you know all of that that nonsensical talk we even heard with joshua after the charles martin fight you're no longer a prospect but that's the problem with box boxing too many titles easy to win championships and this is the year of the prospect world champion that's what this decade is all about and you have that with haney Unfortunately, the WBC, they, they, they never sanctioned or they never called the fight. So Vasily could not have ducked him. So Bill Haney can talk whatever about that. Vasily was more than happy to um, to put down his, his, his regular in favor of the, the franchise to try and circumvent these challenges, which is one of the most ridiculous. How, how can you, how can you, how, how can, what sort of veracity is on that on, on a competitor like Vasily what he's done his entire career this guy has not even had a professional fight in his 
in his home country of the Ukraine. And you talk about him ducking challenges. <sighs> Man, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, official, you know. As I said, you know, Haney, very good, talented fighter. But what the hell is he even doing at a lightweight, you know, a five feet, nine inch, 160 pound fighter, what he rehydrates to. Um, they're just going to look at size, youth, you know, look at that that sort of attritional skills to try and fight somebody like Vasily, overpower him with strength and, you know, with 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 speed, given that maybe Vasily's body and his the elasticity in his body is not there. So they're just going to, it's going to be youth eventually, which, which is going to take its toll. But I hope Vasily says, you know, F you to the entire lightweight division who are trying to freeze him out. He's not going to get another fight. We know that. Bob Arum clearly doesn't want him the champion there. Bob Arum wants to definitely prepare Vasily for a Shakur Stevenson. So if Vasily can, can move down and fight Oscar Valdez for the WBC, 130-pound world championship, because there's clearly history between the two fighters. Having fought twice in the amateurs, Vasily absolutely schooling him, and, and Valdez has talked about for two, three years ago, talking about how he definitely wants to fight Vasily, feels he's a much better fighter because he was a very young, dual Olympian. So uh, Valdez, uh, you know, is 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 a proper fighter. You know, I, I have a lot of you know respect for him. I've talked about it for a number of years, and uh, you know, that's a that's a fantastic fight. You know, Vasily would would go down to a weight division where his body is more accustomed to it's a natural sort of size for him he's not a he's a very very small sort of lightweight fighter he's a, he's a better at a 126 130 that's that's his natural weight you've only got to look at his rehydration weights as a, as a kind of a barometer to know what is his natural sort of baseline weight you know they're, they're very similar stature him and Oscar Valdez Valdez is definitely a you know good fighter good power so that's a great fight on the top rank card. Promotional deal. There's no complications, you'd think. Fight would probably be in the United States. Could even be in Mexico. I don't think Vasily would might fighting. I think Valdez would have no issues. So that, that that's a great fight. So I would say to Vasily, if, if if that is more of a tangible, logical fight that a fight that you can make, and it's a great fight against an undefeated two-way world champion who's just beaten the so-called boogeyman of the division go for it indeed indeed spot on i i could not say it any better bro uh yeah look haney i mean just like you said he got the title that email title the, the title emailed to him so very soon in his career way too early so his fight against where his very last fight against the corpses of Gamboa that, that he found uh, at some uh, ar archaeological site and took it. Uh, but in the process, they were not able to, to find uh, Gamboa's athleticism, which was 
the very thing that that was that used to make Gamboa such a great great little fighter. Yeah. So Vada did a carbon testing on on Gamboa and realized <laughs> that he his his skull came from the Mesopotamian era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his athleticism was uh, sacrificed to to the Egyptian gods a very long time ago. <laughs> so, so that was uh, realistically a developmental fight, but in fact, it was a title fight for Haney. But in reality, something that should be a developmental fight, and the way he fought in that fight, very carefully. Very, very basically, I mean, it was clear that uh, he's still a work in process because he was fighting extremely, extremely carefully w- without any real confidence. Just something that you would subs- sus- sus- expect, sorry, expect from, from a developing fighter. And so, yeah, it tells you all definitely not the way that fight looked was not a title fight a title fight would be facing someone like loma yeah and jorge lenaris um, never had a good chin yeah good tremendous skillful lovely combination sort of fight oh yeah 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 uh, lenaris man <laughs> if one fighter had uh, a good chin if well, Linares, he would be amazing because he's so lovely to watch. His timing is great. He he's so fluid, so fucking fluid, so wonderful to watch. But man, um, that chain is very questionable. Oh, corruption again! You you're having problems with with your devices. I mean. In reality, it's the coup d'etat of boxing who's having problems with with our nemesis. Right now, it's Bill Haney <laughs> trying to disrupt our, our streaming. Yeah, so jump back in, bro. And by the way, right after uh, corruption, right after the fight, uh, after the show, I will have to just tell you something, something crazy quickly. Yeah, Devin Haney. I mean, fuck him with those bitch moves. I mean, I don't want to to go on. I I already spit enough of venom on my solo channel the last night because I was so frustrated and like I told you, it was so out of my character to, to attack a fighter that way. I mean, the whole fake for, but I had to do it because let's not pretend that, that it's all good and that these are the fab for, yeah, corruption, you're back in. Dave, uh, Bill Haney cannot disrupt our stream. It's not only Bill Haney or the Sicario or the Zone. It's it's YouTube. I've spoken to you about it before. I, I used to have a back in two thousand and eight is when I first started on YouTube, and I had 
a channel devoted to sort of economics and geopolitics that I was forced to take down as well. I, I started talking about sort of, you know, the, the corruption that was involved in, in leading to the economic and financial crisis of 2008 went into detail, sort of breaking them down and um, speaking about certain other aspects of history and eugenics, etc. And, and that was one of the f prototypal platforms and, and, and sort of sites. So YouTube have been on my case and some of my other ventures that official knows about. They've, they've, I've been I've been hit with more copyright strikes than I believe most people in boxing put together, and I've taken some of the biggest companies <laughs> and and had them overturned. But they've been on YouTube have been on me for <laughs> well over a decade. Put it that way. Fucking crazy. I mean. Uh, yeah, by the way, what else is there to say? Maybe mention some of the fights that are about to happen. Yeah. Or... Big, well, oh. obviously, we got a, we got a, some really interesting fights this weekend. Indeed. We got the return of Artur Batrbiev, unified champion, taking place in Russia. Don't know when that is going to be. Whether it's, is it tonight or tomorrow? Tomorrow, I presume, is tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Um, we got a fantastic fight on, I think it's going to be on the zone. I'm not sure what Maurice Hooker's situation is, but he declined a fight with Regis Progre at 140 pounds. A lot of people were angry about that, but he's kind of redeemed himself given that he's feels that he's a welterweight. So he's challenging one of the best. He's not even no longer a prospect anymore, but he's a contender in Virgil Ortiz Jr., Tremendous fighter at a at welterweight. You can also sort of fight at 140. Just a just a beautiful young fighter was on you know one of my prospects lists last oh year. So somebody I I identified even at a very early stage that he was a real talent. So that that's a fantastic fight. And Virgil doing it the right way, fighting you know real good competition and. Uh, if he prevails in this fight, then I believe he becomes Terence Crawford's mandatory. <laughs> so, so, so we got Manny Pacquiao one side, Spence on the other, and now Virgil Ortiz, and now even Sean Porter as another mandatory or uh, or whatever else. I don't know. Will he, will he become his? I'm not sure who's going to be his. It could, Porter still could be his mandatory, but I'm sure Virgil Ortiz will be somewhere in close contention as well. So. It kind of suffocates yeah, the same way the United States are kind of suffocating China now with all of their their clockwork naval bases in Guam and South Korea and India and elsewhere. You know, all of the other fighters are doing it to Terence Crawford as well, you know, suffocating him all around. So, you know, <laughs> he's going to do something soon. Exactly. And by the way, I, I'm not really following well. You know, we already talked about the belts earlier. <laughs> so I'm seeing that this is for a vacant WBO belt. Now, the thing is, uh, there ah. was a waiting. Uh, there was a, a waiting earlier a couple of hours ago. And I got on Twitter that uh, Virgil came out one and a half pound over the limit at first Ooh. try. 
then it was reported that in the uh, when it was announced that he's uh, 1.5 pounds above the weight limit, uh, I saw someone on Twitter saying that uh, basically he was trying to avoid becoming uh, Terence Crawford's mandatory. But then it was reported <laughs> that uh, he made the weight limit at the second try. <laughs> Yeah, uh, trust me, it's not Virgil Hunter. Oh, uh, Virgil Hunter, Virgil Ortiz, <laughs> who who will duck Crawford. It, it may be the other way around because he already he's been expressing uh, his intentions of fighting Crawford as soon as possible, and I do believe him. And uh, man, what a character! That's 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 the right way to do it, and. Uh, Judging by what Benavides is saying, that's also the right way to do it. Uh, hopefully, um, Benavides uh, is not saying nonsense, is not uh, just cloud chasing. And the way he acts, I believe he's not cloud chasing, but I even believe Virgil Ortiz more so. He's not just cloud chasing, man. He wants. Well, you can just see by by him taking up on Maurice Hooker, he just tells you that he's willing to to fight the best and really become a truly great fighter. And uh, what else I wanted to say, man, yeah. I forgot. We're gonna have to do some film studies on on these. I got some great ideas, but we know that Spence is. Also, very defensively conscious, and I think even more so now, given the damage he suffered, and you can clearly see it, as I've talked about before. Every single dental dental surgeon will not advise a surgery of that sort of that sort of complex. You know how complex that you know that surgery, which which Spence was forced to undertake, whilst they're still professional athletes. You go and look at the statistics they are out there. Most of the, the fighters that have suffered those sort of injuries where they've lost teeth for an accident or in-ring competition or whatever else through their sport, they always wait until they retire to have, you know, surgery. So Spence having it beforehand. And we saw what his reactions was like when he, when the gum shield got knocked out. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he no longer exchanges or trades He's more bringing up a high guard, so you can clearly see. And, and Virgil is very good defensively, although he's offensively very, very skilled. Good combination, fast punches, quick twitch. He has it all, but he's also defensively very, very good as well. So he's very competitive against both Spence and Crawford right now for me. But you give him two free fights fights of that sort of caliber as a Maurice Hooker, he beats both of them. No problem for me, you know, next year. Say say the end of next year. Without any doubt. I would give him a... I think they're 50-50 fights right now. But next year, he beats both of them. I do think so, exactly. Unless there's there's some fuckery, which would not be surprise, surprising. But yeah, real fight, he beats them probably. I mean... He his defense is very disciplined. He's he's such a nice counter puncher, in fact. And uh, just like you said, look, I was seeing in the fight against Danny Garcia when it comes to Spence. Uh, 
he was having a trouble when uh, Garcia was countering him. Now, okay, Garcia was mostly being able to counter him to the body or with the right hand upstairs, but he was not always able to counter him with the left hand upstairs. But yeah, uh, Spence is a guy who who likes to wait on his turn to throw throw his punches, then lets you throw your own punches, not a natural counter puncher, and so it would definitely be a problem against uh, against Virgil. Yeah, I want to definitely do some fight analysis on Virgil. I want to look at his defense, what he does, and specifically but that's a great fight but this weekend Virgil and and uh Maurice Hooker for however long it lasts you know Hooker's long actually an underrated counter puncher not an you know was giving Jose Ramirez some problems before Ramirez you know stepped up the aggression fantastic knockout just obliterated him in the in, the, in just sort of it was just so swift, almost instantaneous. It was, but it was a good, good little exciting fight. Um, and also, we have from the United Kingdom a guy who may also have replicated Errol Spence with dental surgery by the sound of his recent grime record, uh, Lawrence Sokole. Um, <laughs> It sounded to me like he, he, his teeth were locked down when he was. <laughs> My God, that was one some of the most atrocious <laughs> lyrics I've heard. Um, stepping up in the ring with uh, Christoph Blavatsky for the WBO Cruiserweight World Championship. No surprise, Akoli is a four to one heavy favorite, six feet. Five-inch octopus. He's either gonna suffocate you with his arms under the protection of matchroom in the referee, <laughs> with a Shane McGuigan as he has brought some assertiveness, some hand speed, and some punching power, or he's, he's going to whisper his lyrics into Blavatsky's <laughs> ear. <laughs> About uh, that'll be his uh, his uh, ringwalk music. Good, jo good job there's a lockdown because that crowd would be walking out. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm predicting I'm predicting the correlate uh, to win the fight. I think he's just by hook or crook, he, he'll win the fight. But he, there is some power in him. He can knock out cats. I think Shane is trying to remodel him a little bit, get him a little bit more aggressive, fan-friendly. I can see he's trying to really sit down on his punches against the southpaw. Good southpaw. He's got heavy hands as well. But I'm not sure. Glavaki's been out of the ring for a, a good while now, official. Ooh, I was not really following him lately, but yeah, yeah. I do. Typical so. matchroom tactic of trying to steal a belt against the <laughs> fighter. Um, we know Akoli fought another Polish fighter when it should have been Glavaki when the fight was rescheduled. So Glavaki didn't fight, from my understanding, then. So I don't think he's going to be sufficiently 
it's going to have a lot of ring rust, I guess. And with Vakole, the A side fighting at home. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to check out uh, Glowatsky's Patrick. His last fight. Surely it was the Breeders' fight. I hope not. Hopefully not. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, the last fight against Breeders. There you go. When was that again? Uh, June of 2019. June? My God, that's that's 22 months. Well, 20... Uh, Just short. Yeah, 21 months, something like that. Or, or 18. No, 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 no. Not 18. 21, 22, something like that. Yeah, you're right. 21, 22 months. So, months. Yeah, three, three months shy of two years. So, Fantastic. Good yeah. job, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> so it yeah. means a collie by, by the Python snag. Well, there you go. The coup de horror boxing. You want a little accumulator, people? Go for Lawrence Akole, Sinicia Strada, Artur Baterbiev, and Virgil Ortiz. There's a little four-way accumulator there for you. I, I forgot to place it. Thank you for reminding me. I would go <laughs> I would go maybe Virgil by stoppage, Estrada by stoppage. Akoli by stoppage, and maybe even Baterbiev by stoppage. That'll give you even better odds. I'll try a, an outright four-way accumulator, but then I would do a little prop bet and go smaller amount, knockout stoppage for all four of them. Maybe yeah. try that. That's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to have to look at Senecia's opponent, unless she's moving down in weight. 10 two-minute rounds, you never can... Well, a knockout is is not... It's, it's sometimes impossible in, in sort of two-minute two minute rounds, so I'm going to have to... That may be a strad on victory by points or, or stoppage, but in any way, I, I think she wins. So maybe go three to one, three knockouts to one, once, one outright, rather than points or knockout. Don't spread bet that. Um, but yeah, good weekend of cards, both UK, Russia, and the United States. So it's going to be a killer for us once again in Central European region. <laughs> so official post fight show is pretty much extended onto a free for all Friday night. Anything goes. Coup d'etat laying it down. Anything more you want to cover? Because my time unfortunately has um, I would just say, somebody else. I would just say uh, Davis, Teofimo, Haney, and Ryan Garcia are the fact for. Thank you for being with us. Well, there you go. Big thank you to all the coup d'etat foot soldiers. 
for joining us on this post-fight show. Broken it down beautifully, I think, very well. Oh, I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah. The best film analysis we've done, uh, we talked about all of the permutations of the fight. Unsurpassed, not even comparable anywhere else. Just go back and listen to all of the stuff we talked about and pretty much came all into fruition in the fights. So, yeah, I hope everybody was entertained, immersed, and um, Official and myself will be back hopefully Sunday evening if if we've we've been able to watch all of the fights it's it's a massive strain but we'll try we're on the little roll at the moment three shows in quick succession so we want to come back to some sort of consistency every Sunday night so we'll try and make a, a concerted effort to watch the fights record the fights the ones we can't and Try and rewatch the fights on the Sunday morning when you've got your missus chasing you around with a baseball bat to do something else. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll suffer a mini me broken hand via baseball bat just to try and make the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so on that note, official. You have to sacrifice more than uh, Canelo's <laughs> opponent to ma when making the weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll end up like Joe Pesci in Casino, getting baseball <laughs> to death and buried in the, in the Nevada desert. That'll be me in the garden at the hand of my missus. Um, but yeah. On that note, sayonara from corruption. Sayonara. <laughs>